The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Now join out now with Aaron and Abe already in progress. We are now recording, and this is out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here. He actually wanted to do this one this week. He was like he was in for the commentary, and then the last minute he got work to do. But it's all right. Out now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However. Every now and then, we have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. But this is one of our fun commentary tracks. This is a November 2020. <laughs> We're getting, getting to the end here. And uh, this month, for our commentary track, we are talking Tony Scott's Unstoppable, the final film from Tony Scott. And it it is in honor of the film's 10-year anniversary. And yeah, that's what we're going to do this evening. So joining me to discuss Unstoppable for this very excited commentary check we have host of the brandon peters show guiding one million tons of steel it's brandon peters runaway train never going back chris <laughs> pine on a one-way track seems like denzel should be getting somewhere somehow rosario's never here or there boom back to you Aaron. from the milky way blues he's putting <laughs> he's putting one hundred thousand lives at stake it's yancey burns can't possibly follow that act. So, uh, hey guys, how you doing? Glad to be here. <laughs> also joining us from Weissel Blue, there's 100 minutes to impact from his cat jumping on him. It's Peter Paris. All the time. Hey, everybody. And lastly, from Forbes, writing up a post on favorite movie stars on Twitter who are involved with the runaway train, it's Scott Mendelson. Hi. <laughs> Nice and creepy. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> we have a full house here, a packed train, some might say. How are you all doing this evening? Good. Doing good. Pretty good. A little cold good. in LA right now, which is what I like. Mediocre at best. It's been a hard year. <laughs> well, good thing we have a live enough to this commentary right now. As we're talking about <laughs> Unstoppable, a very exciting movie <laughs> from a very exciting director. Um, which uh, our first Tony Scott commentary, I believe. I don't think we've done a Tony Scott movie. We decided to go back through words through the filmography. If we, well, if Top Gun came out, we would have done Top Gun, but obviously we have to wait till, you know, a reasonable time next year. Uh, but here we are. So, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, that is the plan. We're going to talk about Unstoppable. For those of you that don't know how we do these things, basically the six of us, five of us, six. Uh, the five of us all have this comment. This movie paused currently five seconds in. If you plan to listen along with us, we're going to press play on the movie and just start talking over for the next hour and 38 minutes. Um, and with the movie on mute, obviously, and it's going to be a lot of fun and all that. So, if you plan on listening, if you plan on watching, we're going to count down eventually and say go, and then you can press play and you can listen to us talk about it. And great, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're just going to listen to the track, you're good. You, you, you've already skipped this part and you're already listening to the commentary track. There's no even need a reason to say that because you're already listening to the commentary track. So I'm just wasting time really at this part of the show. So with all of that in mind, are you guys ready? Yes. Ready. All right. Three, two, 
one, unstoppable. Not uh, touching anything anymore. All right. Thomas, the train engine, actually auditioned for this one. He did not get the part. <laughs> yeah. Alec, he, he and Alec Baldwin he auditioned was, for the same part this time. Yes. <laughs> he was not a very wait, useful engine. Wait, so this is uh, – my my thing just said celebrating 75 years. Yeah, yeah we're there. We're at the so, doing so That's what happens when after you turn 74, you turn 75. Right, so now we're at 85 years, I guess, for Fox. I, I yeah. Mean, yeah. I, I, didn't, well, I haven't seen any – 85 well, Fox. Well, one year for Fox Disney, but yeah. There's a reason for that. Fox Disney. Oh, is I didn't think of that. Yes. So, <laughs> so this is our first Tony Scott film uh, that we've done for a commentary track for. I let's okay. So let's let's start it off this way as we normally do. What when did you guys see this movie? Because I I saw this in theaters opening weekend because I mean I was uh, a huge Tony Scott. Fan. Opening night in theaters on uh, date night. Kids were well, kid back then. Was at a preschool babysitter's night type event and loved it. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw it at a screening, which is surprising because I think uh, Yancey, you said, uh, Yancey, did you see it in the theater or no? I saw it. Uh, I saw it probably six months after it came out on video because I was so uh, accustomed to assuming I didn't like Tony Scott movies. And this was a movie that turned me around and had me go back and look at him again. Oh, I do remember that. Yes, you did have a yeah, yeah. yeah I forgot about that. Had it ingrained um, in my head that he was no good because the his reviews were so bad for so long uh, that I underrated him for for years and years. Well, if frankly there was a you know by virtue of the industry changing to put more of an emphasis on fantasy franchise pictures. The stereotypical Tony Scott film, sort of, or at least the reputation of a stereotypical Tony Scott film, evolved from being, you know, oh, a Hollywood blockbuster. It's just for, you know, kids and, you know, you know, action junkies to, wow, Hollywood doesn't make this kind of movie anymore. We love it now. Um, so, frankly, by the time he unfortunately died by suicide in 2012, his reputation had increased to the point because the, these kind of movies were sort of the prototypical Hollywood doesn't make this kind of stuff anymore. Hmm. That's a good point. Brandon, when did you see uh, Unstoppable? It was probably, it was a rental or when it came out. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. I didn't see it in the theater. Yeah, so I I saw it opening weekend with my, my, I believe my father was there as well as a couple of my friends. And walking out of it, we were just like, this is like, it's not just that it's good. It's just like, there's, I, I hesitate to say like perfect, but it's just like, as far as the, all of the pieces of this thing that came together, it's like, how else do you do this better? Like, cause I don't know what that answer is. Like, it's just something about the, the nature of the story being told, the way it's constructed. It's exciting. It's well acted without being overacted. And even like the dramatic elements to make this true story you know, work as a film, it still feels like, yeah, it's just a cool blue collar action movie. Like there's something there that just makes it feel special. So like already being a big Tony Scott fan, despite disliking maybe his most popular movie, Top Gun, I um, came away thinking, is this the best Tony Scott movie? It's not to me. I'm still a huge true romance fan because you put Con- you put Tony Scott and Quentin Tarantino together and like, what else am I going to say about that? But it's like this is right there as far as the, everything that he seems to operate on. I'm I, especially at this point in his career, it just works. I feel 
it's funny to me because like this movie is 2010 and I know this is going to sound strange because Scott was just talking about the whole fantasy thing. But what I think of um, looking at this now, looking at the photography, even though it's, I don't think it's, well, there it's Ben Sorensen's the DP. It kind of reminds me of Spielberg's war of the worlds uh, working class with Tom Cruise. Like okay. there's a, there's kind of a, a grime to it, but obviously a lot of like, um, post-digital saturation, even though this, because isn't War of the Worlds like seven years before? Wait, that's a while ago, right? Oh, I feel 2005. Like. 2005. Oh, 2005. So, yeah. all right. Um, uh, but that's what I'm thinking of when I'm looking at this. Like, I'm like, oh, even right. though, yes, War of the Worlds is a big disaster movie or whatever. I get, I mean, it's, I get, it's a train, as, not aliens, Pete. I, I see what you're right. saying <laughs> to an extent as far as, yeah, you have a, yeah. the, the your focal point is, you know, this kind of average thing going on. I mean, I'm thinking as I'm watching this that I know it's a Tony Scott movie because of how quick the cuts are, mm-hmm. which I think right. is the reason he was so criticized because that was associated with MTV, and it was a concern that everything was going to go that way. Now that MTV is basically dead, it's hard to look at these and go, "Ugh, it's that MTV style of cutting again," because he uses it to his advantage. Uh, yeah, I re- returning to this one as well. Like this time, I was watching it and I was like, "This is kind of." feels like what Peter Berg tries to go for a lot in his movies. Oh, kind yeah. of trying to make like that. a action movie out of normal everyday life that isn't like oh a high like a deep water horizon kind of feels like in the company of a movie like this. I could see that. That's a, yeah. yeah. Deepwater Horizon is probably the closest he's come to making a Tony Scott movie. Mm-hmm. Uh but I, I I know what you're like and that's kind of there with a lot, a lot of these guys. I mean you can even you can almost throw Michael Mann in there although he has, you know, such a different element, but in terms of the Style they're going the writer, for, director Michael Mann, a lot of times. So I mean, and Michael Mann right. produced; <laughs> he's produced most of Peter Berg's films at this point. So it's like he seems there's some kind of connection there. Um, but I mean, looking at looking at like this stage of his career, it, like it feels like this is where he's because I was thinking the same with like Deja Vu, uh, and even I guess Taking to an extent. I, I haven't seen I've seen I haven't seen Taking since I saw it, but I mean, it that still felt like a mix of him doing the things that he really started ramping up after with man on fire i mean like enemy of the st- like he has like let's go let's go over tony scott's like distinct phases right so you, you have what do you have the the 80s where it is that kind of hunger hunger right. top gun beverly hills top cop gun. there's that like there's that, yeah there's that 80s uh fog machine or smoke machine type thing right you get that smoky yeah. feel mixed with like the big blockbuster shininess and the cutting that you know evokes that mtv thing then you get to the his 90s his bruckheimer period basically where he's making like glossy action films are still like hard-edged but the and, like the cuts are there but it's not experimental then you get to Enemy of the States where he kind of starts doing that, but it's still Bruckheimer. Mm-hmm. Spy Game, he ramps that up again with the surveillance yeah. aspect. But then Men on Fire, he's like, I'm going to hand crank things and saturate right. them. I'll look really... like He's doing... <laughs> I mean, you mentioned War of the Worlds. He's doing like Spielberg told Kaminsky on Saving Private Ryan. Make it as... Or a Minority Report. Make it as ugly as possible. Like, make it look as dirty and gritty as ugly as you can. Like, that seems like what he went for. And then Domino is like the, like the epitome, right? That's like the... How far um, can I take like this? They watch Natural Born Killers in Natural Born Killers. They would yeah. see a movie like Domino. <laughs> mm-hmm. Domino looks like algae. Like it's just like so green. Uh, and... 
So then you get to like deja vu and it scales back a bit where he, cause he has Bruckheimer there once again. And so it, it can't like be as aggressively made as, as in the films. This is very succinct and good, but I don't agree with the, with the, the choice of date. I think deja vu might be my favorite Tony Scott movie. I really, I like really it. like it. I mean, a lot of soul to it, you know, and, and he's always great with sixties uh, pop songs. Like, you know, um, you've lost that love and feeling in Top Gun, which elevates that movie just by being in it. Such a great work of art in three minutes. And then in, 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 in Deja Vu, it's the Beach Boys' Don't Worry Baby, which he sort of uses as a central driving thing. And it's a weird science fiction thing. And the combo of Denzel and uh, Paul Patton, right, is... Yeah. I think really mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. That was, it's that's, true. That's no, you're right, Yancey. Uh, I, I often... I get frustrated sometimes when I feel like um, a movie will do a needle drop and it's a little too obvious. Um, I can't think of an example, but like where I'm just like, uh, just oh, a girl movie. and Captain Marvel. Yeah. I, sure, yeah. I, yes. I out of the pan when it came out, I walked out of that 40 minutes in and just disgusted at a certain scene where I thought the pop, the, the choice of, of the nine inch nail song was so on the nose. I just couldn't bear it. Which I walked out, Sorry. I movie again, I finally saw that movie a month ago and I, I completely enjoyed it. Now you could say it's not a good movie, but if I could, which movie the fan, the, the Tony Scott movie. Oh, the the oh, I like the fan. I didn't. I I, I really yeah. didn't like at the time. I was like, oh, why is De Niro doing this crap? Oh, what you know? What it's, it's still beneath him. I literally walked out of that movie halfway in. I finally saw it all the way through recently, and I really enjoyed it. And I guess I can say that it's it's a trashy movie, but I think our definitions of what's good and bad. Are too narrow. If if a, if a two and a half hour movie like that that flies by under Scott's direction, if that got really bad reviews when it came out, but boy, it's really enjoyable. Hmm. Um, it's a very un, you know I, I saw it in theaters when I was sixteen, and it's frankly it's one of De Niro's scarier performances, partially because he is so relentlessly unpleasant. He's not even sort of you know movie villain bad like in you know Cape Fear. He's just a genuinely unpleasant, horrible human being. Um, Snape's genuinely heroic too. In that, yeah, it's, it's a really it's solid. Um, like I think the Tony Scott thing is you can look back over his career and you can say, well, there certainly are a lot of movies that would have been a lot worse if someone else had made them, including Top Gun, which I'm of course not a big fan of, and I didn't even mm-hmm. see it until the 3D version came out on Blu-ray. That's when I finally saw Top Gun. It's fine. I totally get why it was a hit. Uh, it's and it's very well made in that Tony Scott way. It, uh, yeah, it, it works in that in that realm. And yeah, it's be, it's be, it is because of the direction. I mean, you could say that about yeah, most of his movies. Soundtrack I mean, rules. I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> there's the the movies are improved by the fact that he's trying something. It never feels like. I mean, I mean if that was Rob Lowe, looking at this list, like it never Rob feels Lowe like he's like directed he's by you know God no, it would be it would be unbearable. As it is, it's it's it's, I mean, it's watchable. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what Kaczynski does with uh, Top Gun Maverick because I do think he. Well, I do like him. Yeah, I like well him. together. Wait, so uh, he... look, it's it, it's hold on, it's Underwater's T.J. Miller, and there's Ethan. Fighting incident. <laughs> <laughs> right, this is the because I was going to say is so the whole thing is that no one's running the, the train. He was supposed to pull that thing earlier. Was that what it is? Yeah, it was just like a big a misunderstanding because walkie talkies went out at the wrong time, and so right. The, this the is based on a real event, though. Yes. Yes, so, it is. It's based yeah. off a real event. It's uh, complex there, there than was the usual a, excuse, which is that the driver has a heart attack. 
because we'll have <laughs> right. runaway train. Yeah, but it, it was it was just a mix of things involving like a dead man stick and the wrong things being not pulled at the right time. But yeah, there was a train that actually traveled a good sixty six miles through Ohio back in two thousand one. No one's at the controls, obviously, and there were like there were explosive materials on there. So if something did actually happen, it could have caused a major situation. It will, you know, it, this movie obviously puts it in, you know an urban you know an urban environment there's more people involved and what have you there's you know things that are ramping up the dramatics but there's enough there where it's like yeah inspired by a true story sure um one thing i do like about this picture is that you know unless my memory escapes me there are no villains um no, no you're right which no. i like yeah i mean oh, yeah you could argue the system's to blame in some vague way in terms of you know understaffing underpaying yada 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 but you know again everyone's doing the best they can under the circumstance that's why it has like a one-up on films like sully where yes. that one like it needs to make an antagonist <laughs> out of somebody where like i like sully but it's like mm -hmm. you could have made this movie and not like tried to like yeah. demonize like the yes, organization yeah. investigating the thing where this movie's just like yeah it's just guys that do a job yeah. like the train's the bad guy and the train is a train it can't be a bad guy so it's like yeah we oh, just have to do this that thing. tiger went tiger <laughs> uh, is really these are really the five pictures that he Tony Scott did with Denzel Washington are really interesting is in terms of star vehicles, in terms of consciously crafting the kind of persona Denzel Washington wants to always chase, which is very, it reminds me a little of Sean Connery, who's been on my mind a lot recently. The sort of cross between great movie star and great actor that he, I'm assuming he had in this partnership with Tony Scott, I'm assuming he had a lot of creative input because they craft yeah. his, they craft his, persona in really interesting ways over the course of them he does he does like looking i mean that so the, the films are crimson tide man on fire deja vu taking a pillow one two three and unstoppable and they like yeah they do give him a, it's not unlike um not not nearly as great but liam neeson and young Colette sarah where those those films like regardless of how much you like them they are neeson's doing something different in each one of those however much effort you think he's putting in them there are different personas there even if they are wait which movies are those that's the name of them unknown yes run all night yes the commuter and uh commuter non-stop non-stop or like john carpenter and russell in terms of right yeah giving back to the actor letting them be play every time in different ways but like looking looking at you guys and you go boy these are both incredibly handsome guys. Denzel Washington is is handsome, and Chris Pine is is on the pretty side. Therefore, Chris Pine will always have to fight a little bit the pretty boy thing that I don't think Denzel Washington ever had to face. Chris Pine is the best. Well, Chris Denzel has different challenges he's had to face, and he's overcome them tremendously <laughs> in his, in his look, career. Look there. Right, right. Just being working class in a train that's you 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 buy Denzel a little faster for some reason. Again, in that Sean Connery way, even though he's supernaturally handsome, it's well because he, I mean, because he emits authority, like it just it just surrounds yeah. him, like you, you know what you you believe him because he's he's, cra he's crafted a certain level of personality, but also he just brings that performance, like it, it's, it's that balance of movie star and actor that is it's pretty intoxicating. It also it also speaks to what this film is doing by having Chris Pine play the new guy who's working with Denzel Washington here. And they're both, you know, blue collar guys and they're trying, and you can, I mean, you can buy that with Chris Pine. Like, I, I like him a lot here also where he, you know, and he's coming, what, off Star Trek? 
Yeah, this is this is the follow up yeah, to Star two years Trek. Earlier, I mean, no, yeah. one year. It was yeah, one year, year yeah, well, two thousand nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I mean, like you know, he's still fresh. In, like he's been in other things, but he's still fresh here. And so, you, but like, I mean, it's not Kirk. Like he's doing, he's doing something. Like there's, he's always very good. But you're like, oh, Chris Pine wouldn't work on a train. He's still good looking, and it's like he's not technically even better looking than Denzel Washington. He just has those. It's like the Paul Newman thing. Paul Newman had to fight that for a lot of years. To a point, but like. I think even quicker than something, well, because he just hasn't done as much, but like something like, you know, Brad Pitt, where, you know, he's a guy that looks like Brad Pitt that gets these movie star roles, but he's so much more interesting in character parts. Chris Pine, like, I know Chris Pine because of Smoke and Aces, where he plays a mm-hmm. weird, like, anti, like, uh, white supremacist hitman guy who, like, has all, you know, looks insane. Looks like a crazy person. And he's done, he did that. Lifting in Wonder Woman. He's really done, right. I know he did, but he's, he's done similar, like, weird character roles in other. Uh, other things and it's like what that's the guy i know so seeing him in something like this like i'm not concerned with the you know the the nature of him as the movie star i'm just thinking yeah he can pull up one of these parts and i'd like look forward to seeing him do more of that kind of because yeah. he has he like he seems to mix it up like he hasn't really got the he hasn't really gotten as many of the big leads as you'd think being you know the face of star trek for a while i think part of his appeal is whether intentional or not he plays characters that are not the coolest guy in the room I mean, even in Star Trek, you know, he loses every fight he gets into in those films. Um, I mean, he gets, you know, literally, he never wins a fight. Um, and to a certain extent, even though Kirk is, you know, the leading man of those pictures, you know, he's less, you know, the snazzy whatever compared to, you know, Spock being Spock and Carl Urban being the funny one. Um, and obviously, he's a second banana in Wonder Woman. He's a second banana in this. He's a, you know, he's a, fourth or fifth banana in a wrinkling time, I think to a certain extent he plays off his... He crushes you know, it into the woods. Yes. <laughs> he does crush oh, it exactly. into the woods. He's yeah. awesome. Um, the, place you know, where he fa- the place where he suffered is when they did put him into, like, guy that wins the day with Jack uh, Ryan. Jack Shadow Ryan. Recruit. Yeah, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. It's um, really good that he did that period piece. It's like a 40s movie where they go out and there's a boat that's sinking. The finest oh, hours. Oh, finest, finest hours. hours. The Ron yeah. Howard one was that Ron? No, no, no. That's no. not right. It's, no, it's, uh, it's Craig Gillespie of all. Craig, people. Okay. Yeah, solid, solidly good movie. For no, Pine. it's it's a decent film. But that's another one where you're sort of kind of playing the bland conventional movie star, right, um, sure. to a certain extent. Because he had Casey uh, Affleck was on the boat, like he was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But because Chris Pine is not within the Marvel confines like the other Chris's, he seems he's ever <laughs> being able to like carve himself out like a more varied career while also touching on those big yeah. uh temple movies so you have temple chris pine but you also have like interesting other you know bigger movies and he's not afraid to take supporting roles or step back and let someone else be second fiddle like that's i feel like there's yeah. like a lack of ego in his role choices and what he takes because i'm sure i'm sure warner was like what superhero do you want to play i'm sure there was i'm sure that was Oh, absolutely. He was for those conversations. Yeah. There credit, was a time when was... I absolutely wanted him as Hal Jordan, and he said no. Mm-hmm. To to his credit, he was a really good Spider-Man in the beginning of no, Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Like, yeah, yeah. He, like there's a there's a level of like attitude and positivity that he brought in the brief yeah. minutes that he had as Spider-Man. We're like, he's a really good Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I and I committed, think he, he committed to the bit. He right. he, he, yeah. he made the yeah. holiday album. He actually made the holiday <laughs> album. <laughs> well, that's and, another example of how he's willing to not be the yeah. biggest guy in the room. Yeah. And I honestly uh, think he was a 
very good uh, Captain Kirk in Star Trek because he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. He decided to play the role, not the Shatner. Like he he yeah. found and he feels like Kirk, but what Shatner uh, was bringing in like a similar way. It's in those films and in Wonder Woman, he very much reminded me of a Harrison Ford, where he gets into a fight. He's like, "Oh no, I'm going to get punched, and punches hurt." Or I'm going to have to punch this guy, and then my knuckles are going to be in pain. Yeah, um, uh, we're on we're on pine a lot. Let's talk about another thing Tony Scott does really well. In his Kevin movies. Corrigan, yes, he casts a ton of great character actors in every part. That's and Professor Professorson, right? That's yes. Professor Professorson. Yes. So, <laughs> okay. like, we in addition to having movie stars Denzel and Chris Pine, we also have Rosario Dawson, Ethan right? Sibley, Kevin Dunn, Kevin Corrigan, T.J. Miller. Uh, you have like this a cast of people that you recognize their faces, like, and they just they do the job. And I feel like you can say that about a lot of the look at Crimson Tide, look at Enemy of the State, look look at your romance. It's like he's got a a lobby of recognizable players that he just mixes and matches. He's like, all right, come in for this one. We're doing Crimson Tide. Would you say that's like like, um, the way Michael Bay uses a big supporting cast in his Transformers movies? So like John Turturro and stuff like that. Like I think that I think that's a mix of he can get those because he's Michael Bay, and so you know that gives international exposure to those actors. But in terms of utilization. I do think that Tony Scott is working with utility players that he actually puts to work where Michael Bay is just like, I'll just grab Frances McDormand and have her like say nonsense lines and not really use any of her talents. I do think the people he's choosing in these movies, they actually use their talents. And I think there's a difference. Oh, okay. I'm not saying that they're like horrible, but it's not like you're not going to, again, you're not going to go back to Transformers Dark of the Moon and be like, man, Frances McDormand was really giving it all in that movie. (laughs) When you look at this, you look at, you look at this, you're thinking Kevin Corrigan plays a really quirky character in this. You Mm -hmm. like remember that role. Um, I think part of that is because, you know, this goes back to a, a quote unquote olden day where a movie like this was an A-level blockbuster, but because you couldn't afford to have nonstop action, you needed characters that were entertaining. And one of the, you know, one of the ways you do that is you cast distinct professionals, you know, the hey, character Scott. actors. Yes. Scott, Scott, how, cause you just said, uh, how much did, uh, Unstoppable make? You know, oh, I don't know off the top of my head. I want to uh, say over it's under a, eighty. One, it made one sixty. It made one sixty-seven worldwide on a yeah, somewhere, okay. somewhere between eighty-five and a hundred million budget. So it wasn't like yeah. a, it wasn't a knockout success. It made no. more than his previous train movie, The Taking Pelham One Two Three. <laughs> Sadly, I assumed that we were going to get a train trilogy of him and Denzel, and we did not get that, which is unfortunate. Wait, uh, is is Top Gun his biggest movie? Mm, I think so. With adjusted dollars or whatever. I mean, like. Oh, adjusted, absolutely. That's no contest. (laughs) That did 176 million domestic in 1986. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, that's pretty high. Yeah, like. I mean, you did like like 375 worldwide, which back then I think was one of the biggest, not a Batman, or sorry, not a Star Wars, not Indiana Jones movies ever. Yeah, the Top Gun was a freak of nature as far as the box office concerns. That was, yeah, going back to those '80s box offices, like a Top Gun or a Beverly Hills Cop, are just astounding to see something just yeah, like, la- last you know, for like a year. Yeah, Fifteen million dollar pictures yeah. that made you know three, four hundred million worldwide. They would have soundtracks with song would score mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, long, you know, like seven or eight singles, and the videos would keep playing, and they just yeah. keep going. Yeah. Well, top, top Gun by far, Beverly Hills Cop two, two seventy six, and this is without inflation. Enemy of the State, 
deja vu. I mean, the the key in this is that these all have A-list stars attached to them. <laughs> like right. you, have, yeah. you have Will Smith, Eddie Murphy, and Tom Cruise in the leads of each of these movies. Uh, Unstoppable is after that. Um, Crimson Tide, Days, and like the key. The other thing is these are all most all of these. Yeah, all except for Top Gun. They're all in deja vu. Are you know most of these are R-rated movies. Like they're you know mm-hmm. they're they're movies for adults that are largely summer pot even if they're not coming out in the summer summer popcorn movies that just have mm-hmm. somewhat of a brain attached to them um i mean random trivia beverly hills cop 2 broke the opening weekend box office record um which you know a whopping 26 million dollars over the front and <laughs> sunday portion of memorial day 1987 um, that was the record that was the, the record time, yeah. Uh, it beat Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which had been the first $25 million opener two years prior. Makes sense. Movies didn't start getting good till the 90s, so you can kind of feel, <laughs> yeah. it, you can kind of feel it cooking up. <laughs> what's, uh, what's 87? That, that's, so it's Memorial Day for Beverly Hills Cop. Is there something else that blows that out? That's, Please. I think, the biggest grossing movie of the year, except for maybe Three Men and a Baby. Three Men and a Baby was the biggest of that. Yeah. Yep, yep. Because people, uh, I mean, guys, let me, I mean, there was a yeah, baby uh, and then there was three men and they're combined. I mean, I mean, the star power hand of o- hand over fist. Steve Gutenberg and who's the third one? Ted Danson? Ted, Ted Danson. Danson. Auteur Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, you got stock yes. directing. I mean, money in the uh, bank. Where's uh, that? Re- where's that legacy sequel? I imagine <laughs> there's someone. I three imagine there's three men and a grown ass woman. <laughs> I'd be shocked if it, if Disney leaves that property alone. We had Father of the Bride Part Three on Zoom. I mean, you might as well get yeah. the three men and the baby <laughs> back together. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, when you look at the biggest grossing movies of the mid '80s, especially after Star Wars and Indiana Jones had mostly run their course, they are old school studio pictures. Um, you know. Beverly Hills Cop 2, uh, Rain Men, Three Men and a Baby. Um, ghost. Ghost, yeah. Jesus, yeah. Ghost. <laughs> That's like the craziest uh, one. I mean, yeah, it really is. Phenomenal, <laughs> the phenomenon it was. Look who's talking. Uh, yeah. Up until Wonder Woman, look who's talking. Adjusted for Inflation was the biggest movie ever directed by a woman. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Did wanted to see who was talking. It's a good movie. Um, and in that sense, it was you know you had the adult romantic comedy for the parents, you had the talking baby for the kids. It was a perfect combo. Wait, so I mean, I and guess it was educational wasn't big, at the beginning. Wasn't was exactly wasn't Clueless a big hit? I guess just not that big. But no, I mean, that's not a big hit. I mean, it was, that's more that's more of a cult favorite. It hits yeah. very yeah, that did fifty five. No, 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 no. I think it. I think Clueless was a hit. I don't think it was a. Oh, yes, oh yeah, yeah, I don't think it, it was discovered it, it on was, DVD. It left, yeah. a, it left a pop culture staple, but yeah, that's, financially, oh, yeah. yeah. When I say fifty million bucks domestic is a huge hit. When I say cult yeah. favorite, I mean the cults on the side of you know teenagers, like lasting, people, like, lasting oh, power, okay, sure. different right, kind of right, cult yeah. audience. It's one that's more recognizable compared to like Repo Man. Right. right. Anyway, there, there's <laughs> oh shit. Here we go. Oh, Hereditary. I like, like a movie like this is like where can I find a place where I like <laughs> slam a car into something and have things go <laughs> That was I think in, in Taking a Pelham One Two Three, a movie I'm not a big fan of because Taking a Pelham One Two Three, the original is that is a perfect movie. Uh, so watching the new one, as much as I wanted to like it, 
Yeah, but it did like Tony Scott was like, "Well, I'm gonna do my thing," and so he has like police cars racing above ground. And there's an explosion and stuff. It's like, well, he got his he got his rocks off in there. I mean, he, he the stuff he wanted to. Actually, I didn't. I never saw the original, but I I thought Taking was okay. I mean, it's true. Yeah, it was fun. I didn't mind it. Yeah, and I would say the the remake is is almost as good. I mean, you know, uh, is very good in that. Yeah, um, I agree. in terms of remake, Denzel watching remakes, I vastly prefer uh, the Manchurian Candidate mm. and Men on Fire, which is technically a remake of a Scott Glenn picture. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Which I don't think. Oh, I didn't know that. Obviously. Yeah, Taken before Taken. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't think Denzel Washington invented the old man out for a kill film, but he certainly popularized it, at least for the modern era. Yeah, he. he I mean. You know, the yeah. black guy's always ahead of the time. Then Liam Neeson's like, yeah, but take it, right? And that yeah. launched the whole thing. And then Keanu oh, Reeves is like, let me show you how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say that, like, looking at this, looking at this movie now, because we're looking at these, these uh, two big stars on these huge hunks of metal, you know, machinery, you know, vehicles or whatever. It makes me think of, like, how much of an impact that, I guess... I don't know, we think of as like industri- post-industrial age had on like what James Cameron, Michael Bay, Tony Scott, like a lot of these filmmakers up and they're all probably around the same era. They really like the, cause Cameron loves trucks, right? Doesn't he used to be a trucker? I think he did. Yeah, he was a right? truck driver. Right. Truck driver. So it's like, there is a, and Michael Bay of course loves a lot of cars and it's just interesting to me. Sports it's cars. like, yes, yeah, but it's like, it's interesting to me of these, like these, big metal things you know like and and the filmmakers that seem well, to have a thing with that part of it's where part of it's where a lot of them come from commercial oh mm-hmm. that's true i mean yeah. they they, yeah. they direct flashy commercials they have these things that they can like put in there and i mean your your action directors so what, what are things that move that you can use that you don't need a huge budget for necessarily cars cars yeah, cars true. trains things like that i mean it's a and you know they're dynamic they have interesting shapes or what have you so you can put that on screen and do a lot with that you can do a lot of angles you can do a lot of things to create momentum which i think shows in the directors you've named who are guys that are adrenaline junkies oh i mean i guess also another one would be uh what's his name uh is it john debont is that how you say his name because it's john right Jan, Jan de Bont, yeah, Twister. That's another... Brand, Brandon of- watched the haunting special feature, so he's very aware of how to pronounce Jan de Bont's Jan name. De Bont? yeah. <laughs> You're the Jan one. De Bont, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Wait, so not to get grim, but I, I remember that. back in 2012 when it was reported that Tony Scott had taken his life. Is Was it that he had found out was he terminally like he had brain, brain cancer or something? Brain cancer, yeah. He had got yes. a diagnosis and it was like, eh, I'm not going through this. Which is and he uh, jumped on. Oh, sorry, what? It's that the, I was wondering. I remember the, I remember the word at the time, and then it seemed like it never was followed up on. But that's mm-hmm. you know that's interesting to note that it's a yeah, choice. He, ju- he jumped off the Vincent Thomas Bridge in Long Beach. Um, I was actually I was at a screening at the uh, in Santa Monica, a friend of the show, Adam Gentry. And we came out of the theater and just, you know, looked at our phones and yeah, it was just all over the news that Tony Scott had killed himself. And it was like, geez, that's not great. I'm a, you know, being a big Tony Scott fan, let alone just not wanting to hear about a, you know, a very publicized suicide from somebody. It's just not expected mm-hmm. and not, uh, not the best of news to have happened. Uh, How old was he? Do we know? Why is it? Sorry. 60, 68. 
in a oh, man's okay. kind of way, it's, it's comforting to know that he was indeed sick, that it wasn't some, some sort of depression thing. I mean, end of the day, it's, you know, hard to see how you'd feel on the day where you found it. Yeah, I mean, if he had brain cancer, if he had something that's, yeah. like, pretty terminal. Like, yeah, yeah I mean. Like, on that bridge, and he's, Tony Scott's kind of looking off, and it's kind of a haunting image of him <laughs> scouting on the Vincent Thomas Bridge. To, wow. to he, about, he, he uh, it's funny that the picture that he, the last picture he made, if I'm not mistaken, this has got the best reviews he'd gotten in a, in a yes. long time, maybe mm-hmm. ever. Uh, this is one of his better reviewed pictures. Uh, frankly, I mean, without getting the better or worse, this is my favorite Tony Scott movie, give or take. Uh, Enemy of the State might be either that or this. Um, both of which especially stand out today, just in terms of how specific they feel in terms of a certain grounded humanity and career specificity and kind of sort of blue collar. I mean, he's a labor lawyer. So yeah, I mean, Will Smith is a labor attorney and enemy of the state. So he may not be blue collar, but the people he represents are. And I remember even in you know 1998 being impressed by, again, the specificity of these people. They weren't very, gen- you know, they weren't generic action archetypes. And these were films that were about specific characters who had specific jobs that mattered in the course of the story. And that may seem obvious, but, you know, with so many action pictures or, you know, a former special forces soldier who has to do X, Y, Z. Um, one of the reasons I like this film is this is a relentless action picture that's about Guys on a train. There's no guns. There's, I don't want to say yeah. there's no explosions. I'm sure there's one or two that there's I don't want to but... but it's not those kind of explosions. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, I want, I mean, I, I like Enemy of the State a lot for two reasons. One is because it's a stealth yes. sequel to the conversation, <laughs> which is, well, that's fun. Uh, <laughs> and the other, the other yeah. obviously, that wants to make Scott Kahn, you know, 5'8", and Jake Busey, 7'14", uh, look like they're... <laughs> And I, it just, that's, that's very entertaining to me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they can be, you know, they, they're, they're the same person, right? Yeah. I remember when that giant. film came out, there was a lot of talk about how the, the NSA spook characters were, you know, they were young, regular guys. They weren't, you know, men in black, basically. Um, and that was certainly something very different for films of that era. But they even said, like, look, this, when we did the research, these are the guys that are behind the computers now. You know, they aren't, you know, villains on the X-Files. Um, so the, the authenticity of those two pictures then and now stuck out to me in a way that I very much appreciated. Um, Enemy of the State's another movie that, comparatively speaking, up until the very end of it, there's very little violence. The, the body count seems realistic for how something like that might actually transpire in real life. I mean, right away you're killing Other off. Other than the very end. You're, well, no, at the, well, at the very end you have, yeah, a very a huge <laughs> Mexican yeah, standoff yeah. scene. But right away you're killing Jason Robards and then you have Jason Lee getting yeah. smashed to death by a fire yeah. truck in the beginning of the I remember I'm like, oh, cool, Jason Lee's in this. Oh. Nope. Oh. Uh, but even there, yeah, I mean, you don't have... So, you or know, Lisa Bonet is killed off. I mean, there's, She's the only one. It's just her. Um... Yeah, they're, 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 again, you know, it's, it's a, whatever, it's a minor detail. I know what you're saying, uh, yes. I, it's, yeah. in, the, in the realm of the movies he's very, done, like, la- yeah. 
compared to Last to Boy Scout or True Romance or even exactly. The Fan, The Fan, which has yeah. an alarming amount of people that die in that film. Yes. Um, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's different. Um, uh, I always appreciate government conspiracy movies where the bad guys actually take efforts to not, you know, make the news. Um, there's definitely an element of macho in uh, Tony Scott's movies. Oh yeah, these are very yeah, masculine films. Mm-hmm. It's genuine. It's it's, it's it's something that's interesting to him, and it, and it feels like uh, again. I don't think anybody else could have made that Kevin Costner revenge movie enjoyable, other than Tony Scott. Who you know, it manages to be like it's so incredibly sleazy and 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 and, and whatever, but it. it it feels like he's the only guy that could have made that movie uh, at all um, poetic or whatever it ends up being. It's a strange movie, but in that sense, he has two standouts, and I'll get to that in a second. But I mean, if you want to talk about like the the, the levels of masculinity he goes to, I mean, Last Boy Scout is basically just, just I mean, written by Shane Black, very misogynist. Like that movie. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's the ultimate thirteen-year-old boy movie. Yeah. yeah, it's very fun, but at the same time, it's like Shane Black is. You know, this is that that's like his I wrote this on a napkin movie. <laughs> that yeah. said, he does say that it's very different from what he wrote originally. But I mean the sharp the witty one liners throughout that thing are uh, it's very, very old they're, and they're very much in line with the kind of stuff that he would write. That's yeah. if you want to look at I mean the scene like the hunger is very much different in that respect. That's his first movie before he just delves straight into machismo. Um and then I mean second movie, Thief of Hearts or something? what's after the hunger? Hunger's Top Gun. Top Gun. He goes right to blockbusters right after the hunger. Yeah. <laughs> the hunger is the the hunger is the weird outlier in the. It does not look back. <laughs> but you can see with the hunger that he and he's like you know he and, and to an extent his brother are both like a bridge between sort of seventies and 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 today and whatever we think the differences are in terms of new Hollywood versus now. Oh yeah, for sure. You guys both come from the, an environment where they were both art film guys and they had their efforts, especially Tony Scott channeled into making popcorn movies and the, the movies are all the better for it. Which is, and, which you know, is pretty wild. Sense of class. These are trained, very trained, you know, commercials, right? They both started in commercials. Didn't they? they, Scott they have, yeah. There's a lot of commercial stuff. There's a lot of like short films. As Peter Paris would say, there's an unfair criticism of anybody that's involved in commercials or music videos because it's assumed that you're, interested in dumbing things down whatever and it's not always fair you know tony sell was when videos too, was... movie as a perfume commercial that means that perfume commercial right. is heartless not necessarily true you know anyway so with, with tony scott yeah it was like the hunger and then music video stuff because then that got jerry bruckheimer's attention he's like i want this guy for top gun and like and you know it just went from there but i mean that's interesting that you point out as far as their kind of early work and versus in the bridge because yeah you're exactly right looking at the hunger thinking of like the duelists with ridley scott mm-hmm. those are, yeah. they're more they're more formal to an extent they're but they're also ambitious in what they're how they're presenting things and then you get to yeah, complimentary you, to an extent i think they're career they're yeah they are and, but then you get to, you look at like alien and blade or you look at the how it's melding like newer and modern with the stuff that you see in the 70s the grit the smoke the you know the texture that you kind of feel from that that aesthetic that seems to come from a before time that's going into a now it's uh and then just where it goes from there as far as them being at both both being at like the top of things as far as (laughs) having all the all that they need to make whatever they want at that you know that point in time tony scott is also maybe there's no other filmmaker in hollywood history who 
made more movies where people are talking in front of screens in rapid succession and cutting back and forth in front of people at different screens talking about, look at this, look at that, look at this. Well, I like just a moment ago they had the, and this is a typical moment in a film like this where the people that are all in the hell of the war room trying to play this out, give a call to a guy who's out on the golf course in the relaxed environment drawing him in. Right. Yep. A neat little contrast that they, they show. It's when I thinking about that, Yancey, as far as like screens and just like the stuff that Tony Scott does, it's why like there's two films that I tend to think of like Tony Scott probably could have done this also when it comes to Ridley Scott. When it's and it, one is Black Hawk Down, as far as like just thinking of like Sam Shepard standing in front of screens and then rapid cutting back and forth to different like action scenarios, and and honestly, American Gangster, just because that Denzel connection, and just like I, I would be curious to see what that version would have been if Tony Scott hmm. tried to handle these things. And I think that the, the counselor, which I think is great late period, that's another time, yeah, that's a good one too, as far Very as Tony, Tony Scott. Scott. Could really have done something with that yeah but like the different like the thing you see with ridley and what he's doing in those films there's scale where i don't think these are small films that tony scott makes but there's something about the way ridley scott knows how to provide a kind of a macro point of view of a lot of things that feels very unique to him compared to what different Tony's i mean doing. ridley is a greater uh, the greater filmmaker of the two but i think tony was has been underrated for too long you know um well i think that's partially because you know in the 80s and really up until the early to mid 90s, Tony Scott's pictures were sort of the looked at as the stereotypical, you know, bloated blockbuster, the top gun, the Beverly Hills Cop 2. Um, and it wasn't until I would say Crimson Tide, and maybe that's because he, you know, when he starts working with Denzel Washington, where his reputation starts going up a little bit. And again, I, th- I think. I think part of that is because as the stereotypical blockbuster becomes more and more fantastical, that his kind of movies become more and more of the, you know, the sturdy Hollywood studio programmer. And Tarantino and, you know, helped him hip I, actively too. Tarantino, yeah. romance, and also helping to write with Crimson and Tide. I think he actively helped. Yeah. Mainstream idea that Tony Scott was actually pretty good. I, I mean, I, it certainly didn't hurt, but I think it, it is that Bruckheimer element also where he's like, I can pull out the stops and get everybody that you need because Crimson Tide, just like The Rock, is another movie where it's like, you know, while it's credited to a couple writers, there's a lot of writers on both of those movies that yeah. I've seen. Like Tarantino's the most obvious one, but like Over- first stuff, yeah. Th- those, yeah, those things, those, those like, you know, it's not the MCU, but it's like a franchise in itself, the Bruckheimer 90s action movie that's where it's just like he has collaborations going on from all over the place that you're not even hearing about, but mm-hmm. he has those tools at his disposal. And it, <laughs> Crimson Tide is like, yeah. I haven't seen in like 10 years, but Crimson Tide was the movie, that, the gift that kept on giving. Every time I went back, there were like five new, oh my God, that guy's in Crimson Tide too? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I gotta say, I only saw Crimson Tide once in the theater. I I, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't like it, <laughs> um, but I know I know everyone loves it. So it like I, I will need to I'll need to I know I'll need to one I'll need to one day revisit it. Um, question or two is Crimson Tide. Um, so he does Top Gun, then I think he does Days of Thunder, which we haven't. No, 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 no. You you missed two. He does Beverly Hills oh, Cop two, mm-hmm. which is giant yes, thing. Beverly Hills Cop two. What's the other one? And and revenge, which is like yeah. that's a flop. Um, Aaron and then he it. goes back to Bruckheimer. So, <laughs> and he goes back to he goes back to Bruckheimer with Days of Thunder. And then yeah. Crimson Tide, which also wasn't a big hit. 
no, no, no. You can't. You, no, then after Days of Thunder, then he has Last Boy Scout, which also isn't a big hit. It's Bruce Willis. It does decent money, but it's not a huge hit. And then True Romance, which uh, is also True not Man. a okay, huge right, hit. Right, 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 All right. Dynamo Christian Slater. Then it's Crimson Tide. He does a lot. I mean, it's not exactly a one for me type because I think he's doing exactly what he wants to do. But there's a lot of, you know, the the films are bigger after he does some smaller films that seem like failures. Even like The Fan, which I don't think he really wanted to do, but he's like, all right, fine. He'll just, he'll just experiment, which is what The Fan looks like. He's experimenting a lot with his style. Sure. Then he goes to Enemy of the State, which is enormous. And he does Spy Game. Not so big. And then like... Then there's like a pause because I think that's the longest break between movies between Spy Game and uh, and uh, Man on Fire, and that's when he's completely retooled. Like he, he has Denzel back with him, but he's also like all of this, all of this experimentation, <laughs> subtitles all over the screen, moving around, hand crank cameras, Dakota Fanning, all these weird things in his movies. It's just crazy. Uh, I gotta say, um, not not related, but just related to what we're seeing on the screen. Do you think there are a lot of people who, because of this whole sequence with the news? think this movie's called Runaway Train? No. Because <laughs> it's in, like, every shot because of the news. I'm like, yeah. obviously, we, we know famously there was another movie called... But I was like, wow. I was like, this really could just Runaway be called Train Runaway Train. Okay. Like this that I like more than Unstoppable. Not that there are too many. Yeah. I mean, Money Train with Wesley and Woody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 On the poster. You don't need, you don't need last names that for that one. It just says 25 next week. Damn straight it does. Chris Cooper classic. <laughs> that's what I say. Jesus. Who <laughs> was that person? Was, who's that Jennifer Lopez person? Why is she always, so much better than everyone else in this movie? She's so doe. She's so doe-eyed. I remember thinking so soft-featured. I wonder who that is. Sam. Robert Blake. And that's um, that, yeah. That's the Robert Blake classic where he plays a completely nice guy <laughs> and everyone loves him and yeah. walk away thinking, man, you should do some more nice guy roles. There's uh, a ninety-six. Right, ninety-five. What's uh, when's Lost Highway? Yeah, that's around okay. there. It, yeah, that's the second scariest Robert Blake role. Wait, you yeah. saying that's the second? Robert Blake, excellent actor. In Lost <laughs> Highway, he's pretty creepy. Were you saying that's the second? Robert Blake's a really good actor. He's just a very weird guy. I'm oh, joking, okay. Peter. Jesus I was like, what? <laughs> Come on, like. Uh, <laughs> That's it. Chris Cooper's terrifying in Money Train. <laughs> he plays a Wait, serial killer that like, lights Jesus. people on fire. I didn't know oh, he's the that. fire guy. I, I yeah. didn't know he's opening weekend. <laughs> Holy shit. Look at this explosion that, that we just got here. Like, that. that was wrongfully blamed for a real life murder. Yeah. Somebody's bringing um, yes. that the light the fire thing. Because uh, uh, that film's opening weekend, someone did that to somebody. Remember that? Uh, yep, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And for years, we all assumed it was a copycat crime. I only know otherwise. I looked it up last year when I was doing research for stuff about Joker. It's like, no, that guy didn't even see the movie. Bad timing. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's why money. That's why Money Train failed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I remember that was a big deal back when that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a story. Um, Peter, Peter, part of why I don't think people would think of this as Runaway Train is one because the tagline is not on the poster. It's supposed to like live die repeat uh so it's just not going to be confused that way but also if you guys recall the trailer for this movie is not great it sells the premise i'll give it that and it has all the things as far as like look at these guys and it's a tony scott film but you also have what like rosario dawson being like you have a a train that's like a missile the size of the chrysler building and it like just sounds like the most ridiculous movie possible yet it's still like one of the better movies of that year like it's really yeah. good it, so but but i think because at least from my perspective this came out what November, right? 
Mm-hmm. It was hammered into me all summer that Unstoppable was coming in November starring Denzel Washington. And it's hard to think of it being called anything else except Unstoppable because of the very premise being there's a train and it's unstoppable. Like, <laughs> there, there's, there, yeah, there's, there's nothing there's nothing indicating it'd be called anything else. So if you're walking into this movie opening weekend and yeah, it says Runaway Train on the news broadcast, okay. But I walked in knowing I'm seeing Unstoppable. That's the movie it's that I'm watching. Band. It's not the greatest title though because Unbreakable, Unforgettable, it's not, it's not the greatest title. It yeah, been. I feel like it, I feel like it's a little muted as a title. Like, it's a little um, muted, but by comparison, looking at something like Edge of Tomorrow, which people literally can't remember now, or Space Jail, aka Lockout, a movie you have to, <laughs> movie you have to explain to people is called Lockout, but we've just all accepted culturally that it's Space Jail. Space Jail. Unstoppable works. I'd be in the right ballpark if I had to randomly tell somebody about Unstoppable, or if I said Edge of yeah. Tomorrow, or 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 Lockout, especially. Yeah. Be like, what the Stallone movie? No. Well, I, I, but what I, about actually, Guy Pierce in Space Jail? I, actually, I like I like Lockout. Actually, I think underrated. I like Which, Lockout. No, yeah, it's it's good. What Space We're Jail? All Lockout fans here. Space yeah. Jail. Yeah. So Space Jail. I like rules. Yeah. John Carpenter didn't come on the podcast, so you're safe. For you guys, everybody here. I wonder if Todd will know this one. When was it established initially, this style of shooting that Tony Scott uses here, and I think used a lot, where you've got the handheld camera that sort of zooms in on someone before they start talking to Mm. establish the sort of immediacy of the situation? It's sort of a cliche already at this point to have like a busy newsroom that's shot that way. It's true. Um, I almost want to say, and I'm, I'm probably wrong, but Enemy of the State, just by virtue of its use of surveillance as oh, a thematically, you know, logical way to justify presenting the story in that fashion. I, I think it cast, was, you know, here's a satellite, you're zooming into who you're talking to and so forth. It was used, like, not in conversation before. Like, there was a similar yeah. style to it used in, like, action sequences, but he started incorporating it into, like, regular conversation. Which was a change. A Which bit. was considered hyperactive at the time, but it certainly foretold the way things were going, I think. Nothing inherently wrong with cutting fast if you're doing it if you're if you're doing it for a reason. Well, like yeah, that's why I, yeah. that's why I like Greengrass movies. He knows what the fuck he's doing in those movies. Like yeah, I can't yeah. about shaky cameras. The know. shaky cam and just and still fast editing. That, but it's like I'm not I'm never at a loss of flow with those movies. Where I am with other ones that are like, well, they did it. Nowadays, like, the movie cuts to a scene and all of a sudden the, the camera is handheld. You know something's about to happen. Like some, some sort of immediate thing is going to happen in the, in the scene, right? When there's all of a sudden handheld going on. And I think that's a language that must have been developed. Maybe by Tony Scott, or certainly during the Tony Scott era. Whoo, that. Ooh, yeah, yeah, totally. Bam. <laughs> my my mind's on your question now, Yancy, because like, I, yeah, I can think of when mm-hmm. Scott started doing. I'm trying to think of if there's <laughs> other movies that were. I'm sure Runaway Train is like locked off every shot, you know, from t- yeah. 15 years or 20 years earlier. Because I'm tra- I guess it would have to be movies that have like a, a sense of scope to them, obviously, where you have because mm-hmm. I'm trying like newsroom movies feel, I feel like, like there is a certain that. element of Oliver Stone in his ver- his what did he call it? Ver- See, Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone seems like that'd be a guy who might have done like been doing right. that earlier, like like, I mean, like JFK. Oh, yeah, probably JFK has was mind blowing at the time. What did you say? Uh, I said from JFK, JFK was mind blowing at the time. How it was edited in terms of how much information you're getting, and in terms yeah. of this, we would do where you cut. To a black and white shot of the same 
thing, but the technology is going to make a different face. Then, to a certain extent, just the idea of a movie being edited in that fashion was itself unique. Yeah. Um, and you know, if I recall, it won an Oscar for best editing, deservedly so, because yeah. it has some of the yeah. best editing of that yeah. decade. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I was 11 years old when I saw it, but still, you know, it was still mind blowing in terms of the way it, it conveyed its story through images. Yeah, Eleven uh, years old, meaning you were old enough to have your own thoughts on how things really happened with Kennedy. So you're like, that's okay, why I'll I was. That's why I was allowed to see it, even though I wasn't allowed to see most R-rated movies, because I had a cursory knowledge of the conspiracy theories, and I was interested in the subject matter. What's JFK? Ninety-three. Not to talk about it, but that movie really changed the way people look at that. I mean, that really. I remember seeing that and thinking that was. I understood that it was a sort of paranoid version of, of, of many mm-hmm. different versions. I understood that at going in, but like it really changed the way people look at history of that movie. Uh, well, it certainly changed the impression of Oliver Stone, who went from, you know, a very talented filmmaker who has very strong political views and has his pulse on, you know, topicality to crazy conspiracy theorists. Did that one do it? I mean, well, because he does that and what? Then, well, then there's his third oh, Vietnam yeah. thing, right? What, um, yeah. heaven, or what is it? Is it heaven? Is He's that Vietnam awesome. guy before that. And then with Nixon again, it's, I was going to say Nixon. Yeah. Then, yeah. Then it's Nixon. And then, I mean, then, it's, then it's like in terms a of, you know, his Saturday night live persona sure. was very much molded by JFK. Yeah. You're right. Before that, it would have been just oh. platoon and, yeah, the guy that made platoon in Salvador. But then it like weirdly tones down because it's like I'll make like a random yeah. like grimy crime movie U-turn with money trains Jennifer mm-hmm. Lopez and uh, yeah. then then any given Sunday um, in a very condensed very wait. condensed time when he was one of the best filmmakers around but it was very very much there for about ten years he was yeah, he was knocking it out from the eighties yeah. to the to the to the nineties mid nineties I thought it was a turn but okay <laughs> <laughs> um. When did he start to go away, for lack of a better word? Was every given Sunday the last big one? Well, that was the last like event, and then yeah. like eventually W happened. W, yeah. It's like, well, I'm going to oh, rush yeah. this out. Alexander and that was great. Alexander was yeah. Beached whale thing, the classic thing. Alexander, that's the one where it's sort of like, okay, this isn't that's the thing the first anymore. Where I thought this really, I, I've tried and tried, but that's the first. I didn't like any given Sunday, but I'm not a football guy. But Alexander, I was like, okay, he's lost his muse. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't. I'm. I'm pretty sure Aaron and I disagree on this, but I think Snowden is solid. It's like a three star movie. Just about the other night, and man, it's it a snooze. More, it couldn't feel uh, more out of step. Like you just, gosh, maybe it's really. I mean, like again, when I remember when I saw in the theater, I I think it was good. Again, I I only saw it once, but. Snowden seems like the movie you'd expect the guy that made JFK to make a comeback film with, and instead it just feels like. Okay, he I'm did it. Brightly. He just, <laughs> he's on the opposite of speed. Film, One of the of July. He did seven or eight great movies, and that was it. Most great filmmakers last longer. Guys like Tony Scott, who don't try, aren't as ambitious, can have much longer career. I think Oliver Stone burns bright and quickly, and then he's sort of gone. That's, you know, it's, you know the conspiracy thing is, yeah, if you want to be one note and dismiss somebody as being just one thing, then sure, he's the crazy guy who blinks all the time and talks about conspiracy theories. But, you know, I think there is some of his language that, that, that makes it into this. And, and like we were saying earlier, like I was joking that Domino, which is a, certainly feels like a very personal movie for Tony Scott, it does feel like somebody who's building on the, on the work of Natural Born Killers. 
in terms of so much information coming at you that it numbs you, uh, it prepares you for. You know. During during quarantine, I've watched like almost all of Tony Scott's films because why not? Yeah. I have. <laughs> lots of things i can do uh and so what re- what getting to domino which i was excited to because i really liked it at the time despite being the only person that liked it at the time i was like am i still gonna like this now and it's like no yeah this movie rocks <laughs> like, I just, I the, um, like... it's obvious it, like it has its obvious flaws but it's at the same time it's just like this is this is a film made by someone like you just said yeah it's that like wants to tell a very specific story and does so in the way he seems to know how to do it and it's utterly its own thing and I, I really admire what he's I, you doing. know. I always feel like you know. I only saw Domino. I feel like I say this all the time. I, I only saw Domino once. I remember being very excited to see Domino. I mean, I like Tony Scott and Kira Knightley and everything. I just remember thinking it was. This feels like the kind of thing uh, Scott would say. But I always feel like at the time it felt like it was a. It was a. There's a good ninety minute movie there, but isn't it like two hours and twenty minutes long? Like it's a. Two hours. And yeah, change. it's yeah. like that was. But again, Narco guy, right? Wait, what? Didn't the right. Yeah, yeah, Richard. Yeah, Richard Kelly wrote the screen. Was one of the writers. But I mean, screen, like but yes. to to go to something like if you're a fan of Tony Scott and stuff, I know that you know Yancey is often defended. Um, like the the hot. We don't. I want to get into a huge thing about this, but you know Yancey has defended the Hobbit trilogy. Is like, well, look, if you really like this, if you like the Middle Earth, and you like Peter Jackson, why would you not want more of that? So, following that theory. I can kind of see if you like Domino, yeah, two hours and some change is great, you know, like, but I don't know, for some reason, it felt like to me, I was like, oh, this should be a tighter movie. Like, again, I haven't seen that in forever. Like I said, I acknowledge that it has its share of flaws at the same time. It just, for what it's doing, I I enjoy what that is. It's a mess of things, but it has so much going for it for me. And it, I mean... There's other Tony Scott movies I like more than it, but it's just, you know, I think every director has one of those things where it's like, what if we just went all in a certain way and sometimes they're... Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of what I think some, maybe some kind of like more mainstream viewers might think of as indulgent. Like, oh, this is just so self-indulgent or whatever. Like, but I, I, there's a lot of movies I like because I like the filmmaker. So I want all of it. I want all the gravy. Um, so actually, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll check out um domino i just you know again haven't seen it in we're, forever we're not talking very scene specific about this movie because that's yeah. not what we do here generally anyway but i mean watching unstoppable in the background it is neat to like you yes now that you brought this to, you know it's not like it's new to me but the idea that his camera is always moving and as we've established this is not an action movie in the same way that you know uh top gun <laughs> Top Gun is an action movie. Right. Man on Fire is an even Man on Fire is more of a drama that has gunshots. In gunshot. It. But, I mean, but this you know we've established what we're talking about with this movie, and the camera's just all it's all it's constantly yeah. moving. It's constant rhythm. There's constant momentum, which makes sense for a movie about a train. But still, it really it's either swooping around, zooming, or handheld. My wife uh, wanted me to know it, and I think she's probably right that although we both love Rosario Dawson, she has a thing with her hair constantly doing it and doing her hair. Mm-hmm. That uh, may not be the right uh, Scott. He's out for a second. He took off. He'll be back. Um, all right. So we couldn't talk about it all. You got too suspenseful. Could somebody own all five of these movies? Could there ever be a, a Scott Washington box set? Or is that just impossible? I know physically. <laughs> is it possible that I could have this in my hand someday? Let's say it becomes a niche thing again, like Laserdisc, and they're just putting it out for the guys who really love movies. I mean, are these all, all one company or no? 
no, because Crimson Tide's Paramount, Man on Fire. Yes, no, but Man you're not going to get Unstoppable's Disney in the story. Deja, Deja Vu's Disney. Um, Crimson Tide's not Paramount, is it? Oh, no, sorry. It's touched or Hollywood Pictures or whatever. Yeah, my bad. Disney, right? Well, yeah, it's Disney, which yeah. is Disney. Yeah, yeah. Man, Man on Fire Man and Fire. this are Fox. Yeah, Man on Fire and this are Fox. Deja uh, Vu is Disney Touchstone. De- Deja Vu and Enemy. All of this, I mean, they're Bruckheimer movies, so they're all going to be all going to be touched. Well, so you could now since it's all owned by the, it's all owned by Disney. Then and so, yeah. taking a Pelham is uh, Sony. Taking Pelham oh, Sony. Right. Yeah, that the license and they never would. When you say Disney catalog title Blu-ray, and I your answer is no. If one day it goes back to the niche thing and physical form, physical media is just for nerds again, like Laserdisc, it would be nice to have these five movies. No, yeah, I, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. That's a good idea, but I just Disney needs to play ball. Keep it. I talk more about Denzel Washington what, here, and, and let's do that. Character that he, and this sort of the it, it's, there's an interesting tradition of, of leading men who don't want to go for the easy. They want to be. Um, it's a Sean Connery, Clint Eastwood kind of thing where you don't want to be lovable exactly. You want to be the good guy, but you want to be complex. And I think that's well, a lot. I think most stars going back to the ones that came after Tom Cruise saw what he was able to do and tried to emulate that career. So you had people like DiCaprio and Matt Damon and, you know, who wanted to be actors first and movie stars as a byproduct. Or going back even further, you know, De Niro and Pacino, but they weren't necessarily box office juggernauts in their day. Um, so well, I think, the, yeah. I would say that's the thing with Denzel. The Denzel's whole thing at the beginning of his career was give me the scripts that Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise are throwing away. Yeah. Right? And that's part of what got him propelled into being the blockbuster star. Um, in addition well, to being Denz- a competent leading man. In a Denzel movie, there's no one as big as Denzel usually in them. Like there's a, either a rising yes. person like Chris Pine who may launch to become a big star, or there's notable side play like in like a like a John Q, or uh, out of time you got like Dean Kane in Out of Time as his co-star, but like he's usually the big person. It's rare he gets, that he, he gets there, like because I mean you when you he does one have... Mark Wahlberg. Um, but he also does like with Tycho Pelham Travolta, well, when Travolta's not at heights of power. Wait, isn't he with Russell Crowe in something? Um, American Gangster. Ver- two, American two, two things. Virtuosity in America. Well, I was going to say, there's, there's, oh, American there's, Gangster. They're both pretty famous at that point. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes, they yeah. are. What I, what I was going to say, there's there's kind of stages where it's like he's coming up and you have something like Glory and other movies where he's taking supporting roles. There's a chunk in the 90s after like Philadelphia, which is a two-hander, right. where he starts getting like more leading roles where he gets, where he, get, not, he gets, um, like Devil in a Blue Dress, mm-hmm. Courage Under Fire to an extent, even like Preacher's Wife, like things like that, Fallen, uh, which we did a commentary for. Uh, and obviously the Spike Lee stuff, which we'll get into also. But I mean, there, but there's also, yeah, there's still like building it to two-handers getting up to there, like Pelican Brief with him and Julia Roberts. And then later on, yeah, it goes back, like when after like the Tony Scott collaborations nowadays, and he hasn't really done much really, thinking about it actually. That, I mean, like the Equalizers. That's... You have a couple of equalizers, which yeah, are Denver arguably Washington his worst is, movies in my eyes. We got like the, the Steve McQueen career of he feels like his he's not made the easy choices. He's always made challenging choices within that realm of wanting to be a leading man in in, in movies and wanting to be the basically the hero in movies. 
you know, it's, it's, it's a real art that we don't talk about much because we're so focused on our tours and directors, but these guys like Denzel Washington are tours of their image over mm-hmm. the course of their career. Oh, yeah. And that's why he's still a movie star because he's still his own franchise. He is yeah. not associated with an IP or, a, you know, a brand or a what have you. He's from an old school era where he is the franchise. Now, Obviously, he's a b- much, much bigger draw as a vengeful action star uh, than he is in, you know... Robin J. Israel and, Esquire? Yeah, yeah, or Antoine Fisher, which is awesome. That's another story. Um, but yeah, I mean, him and, you know, DiCaprio, obviously, are still movie stars because they are still bigger than... They are still associated with themselves, they have a reputation for quality to a certain extent. They're going to be, it's going to be a good movie because they're in it. You assume they're yes. not going to do anything. Yeah. Or, you know, um, and they're not, you know, associated with a, you know, all due respect, a comic book character. You know, a Chris Hemsworth, right. a Chris Evans, um, or, you know, Chris Pye with Star Trek, you know, with, with a fantasy character of that nature. Um, yeah. He's never seemed comfortable entirely. He's always had a real edginess to him, which is interesting the way, I'm sorry to cut you off, Scott, but interesting the way that he's managed thing, that he's always, he's always, he doesn't want you to hug him at first. He wants you to to come to him as a movie star in a different way. It's interesting the way he's pursued that consistently, you know? There's a, I mean, and there's a whole talk about like him not doing many comedies, although he can be a very funny actor. He can be, he is very funny. But there's, a, but there's also like a, a matter of where he's coming from with some of these roles. It's not like he got propelled into stardom by being a fantasy character or being something iconic in that way. He came from doing dramas. He came from he came from he, he came from doing soap opera. But he came he came from tele- doing television drama, television too. Yeah, television like drama elsewhere. And then he came up doing you know do, doing the Spike Lee roles or doing um uh what's it the first one uh, uh Cry Freedom things like that where like he's playing real characters of characters that Matt. Now obviously there's another thing. He's he is a black actor, and there's a different kind of status as far as what kind of roles he's allowed to get allowed quotes, uh, and versus what other stars that suddenly rise to prominence are you know able to achieve right away. Like and, and, and Ryan Reynolds, and Mark Wahlberg, and he Russell Crowe. He became minute. he became the black actor. Like that was it. yeah. Oh, we got one. Here he is. <laughs> it seems more thought. He seems especially thoughtful to me in in terms of going especially his own way. Yes, and that's what I was going to get. What you that, want him to be ever, and he never has walked into what you want him to be, which is a strange choice for a movie star, but it works for the, for the great ones. And it's, uh, that brings me to where he is now, because I find this to be interesting. I mean, we can talk about which ones are still movie stars and what have you. And you have, yes, you have Leo DiCaprio and what have you. With Denzel, in addition to being in movies and being a star, he's also a guy who has shepherded other people into becoming stars or at least trying to make them stars. I can't say the same about Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. I can't say I can't say that Denzel tried to make Derek Luke a movie star. He tried he 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 tried he literally paid for Chadwick Boseman right, to like, yeah. go to college right, or whatever yeah. apparently. Like he's a, he's actually tried to help out. Now obviously again being a black star and having a you know a series of other actors that are also looking for similar opportunities or what have you he's paying it back essentially in a way that makes bigger difference than having Leonardo DiCaprio be like, Oh, I hope I can get Taylor Kitsch to be a huge star one. Like it doesn't, you don't need that. Like there's a, there's a a mentality because Denzel wants to create more because he's the only one. Whereas Leo gets replaced if Taylor Kitsch 
becomes which, which also <laughs> shows because Denzel is a producer and a director. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's 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 actively working to get things made and get other projects happening, regardless of if he's even in them at this point. Something that's always occurred to me, and you know, I, I obviously this isn't his fault, but I've always wondered to what extent. You have a guy like Denzel Washington who is an opener, who is a movie star. And then he makes these movies with, you know, Mark Wahlberg and Russell Crowe and Chris Pine and Ryan Reynolds. And because those films do very well, that creates the, frankly, false impression that those guys are movie stars. And then they go off and get leading man roles that frankly they're only getting because they're the hot white guy of the moment. Well, Wahlberg opens pretty well, doesn't he? Wahlberg's the exception. Yeah. 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 Um, Even then, as you've said many times, Scott, it's more of he became that eventually. Like it took like Ted Ted for him to be able to like do that on a set, like a star concept type thing. He was making lots of rock stars and whatever before. Or being in two handers of Clooney with like perfect storm and whatnot. Well, I I think Um, also being with, you know, um, Peter Berg and making these, he Wahlberg feels like that movie star for like the modern, like conservative crowd to root for that yeah. they go. To oh, yeah, he's a very the, blue collar movie star. Yeah. But, but those Peter Berg movies are also mostly failures. Like with the exception of Lone Survivor, yeah. which yeah. even then did, did okay. Those movies mostly flop. <laughs> like they're not, they're not oh, exactly God. bringing in the money either. I still think Denzel, Denzel Kevin Oshel is terrible. Yeah. Denzel Washington has a certain, also has a, I still think the comparison, and maybe it's because he died, but the comparison is really to Sean Connery to me, and that he's he's definitely retained. Uh, a, uh, I guess the word is again sort of macho, but but it's 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 there's a thorniness about them, and and, and you know DiCaprio is embraceable, whereas you know he's always been sort of cuddly in a lot of ways, whereas Connery always had that thorniness about playing Bond, and, well, and it, it was this tension between him and. Right. and the, that made him more appealing. And there's something about that in, in, in Washington too. And this may be a, a thing that's starting to fade because I don't know how much we're going to stand for sort of m- macho, but. Well, not so much macho too, but Denzel's ma- managed to maintain that same kind of uh, swab, whatever he brings throughout his career. Like he's just as cool now as he was then. He's just, and he brings that, kind of same stuff like Connery had that too. He was just as cool in the rock as he was as James Bond, you know, like it's just kind of a thing that just never faded. It never it's evolved. An, it's, it's just again, still it's, there. It's a, it's a, but also it's, never were in doubt as a real actor, you know, like, yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's a mix, it's a mix of charisma and authority. Like there's something right. there that it's, that's, that's a, that's a movie thing. That's a spark. That you, just can't, that you can't, tell, you can't tell someone to do that. They just do it. Like it's and it's impressive. Yeah, it is. There's a presence well, there. Thoughtfully, I think it's very thoughtfully managed by them. Right? For sure. I mean, look look at him. Look at his look at his other os. Look at Training Day, a movie where he's a terrible person, but you cannot stop watching him. Like he's, <laughs> Training he, Day, yeah. changed the trajectory of his career. I mean, train because he's never played like bad. Like that was like him playing bad. Like he's played, you know, he's played challenging characters, but he's never played someone that's just like the villain in that to that extent and even then he hasn't really gone back that far i mean you can argue some of the roles get him into dark places or what have you actually you know looking at his career he's done a lot of interesting work as far as being the guy that's cha- playing like challenging type characters as far as ones that are conflicted or corrupted he's not in, dimensional in training day either he's he's a, i'm not saying he's one-dimensional but i'm just saying he's a he's a, and i'm not the biggest training day fan is. and i'm not the biggest fan of the fact that he has an oscar for training day but that's another story yeah. <laughs> 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 
He's got the two. Should have won for he could have won for fences, but you know, Manchester. I thought he was <laughs> training day is all right. I was never the biggest fan of that, but it's a very I watched it again recently. It's a very watchable movie. It's just I, I mean, think he's great in Philadelphia. I don't think he got a lot of oh he's oh he's ter- oh, that's yeah. the same thing as like Rain Man, where it's like, yeah, the big showy performance gets the Oscar, but you really need Denzel or you need Tom Cruise to sell the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, Wait, good. what year is Training Day? 2001. Uh, 2001. 2001. Because yeah. I feel like you guys are talking about movie stars and like thinking of like Tom Cruise. I think Tom Cruise is terrific in Collateral, which is essentially Tom Cruise being a bad guy. Mm-hmm. But, but I would agree with you. I like Collateral more than I do Training Day, even though I think that's Washington is, of course, he's still solid in training days. He's, he's Denzel Washington. I mean, um, one of the one of the one of the great movies. I mean, I'm not the. I I think Anton Fuqua is a fine director, not one that's. And he's made two of Denzel's worst movies, so I can only go so far with this. But, but, uh, <laughs> but I but I, one of the great cinematic moments is when Ethan Hawke gets into the car with tra- with, in Training Day with Denzel. And he's like, so we're we going to the office, and Denzel's like, we're in the office, baby. And then bling, 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 bling. I love like, that. Yeah. Dr. Dre starts playing, and they start driving yeah. off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Still, Dre starts going. Bill Dre comes on. It's a great that's moment. The, that's the best. <laughs> that's that's the best thing Anton Fuqua's done in his career. It's that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Training day. Yeah. Like if he Wait, did that, if he if he did that in Magnificent Seven, they got on a horse and they're like, "Where are we going? We're going to the sheriff's office." Baby. Still, Dre's <laughs> <Yeah. that plan. laughs> another strange choice he made. The Magnificent Seven. To remake that, I, I mean, Steve McQueen I, explicitly there connection. Do you guys? Even, I'm, just, I'm just curious. Well, the, I mean, your your favorite guy, uh, Chris Pratt, plays the Steve McQueen role in that movie. That's, that's another hashtag, example. Uh, hashtag Yancey's Chris. Well, <laughs> that's another example of him. Sort of <laughs> is more like Steve getting McQueen. cover to a white next movie star. Uh huh. Um, he reminds me more of Steve McQueen in the end than anybody else in terms of being a great, intense actor who was always complex in ways that weren't always, I don't know what the word is, about being more well-liked. To, um, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I just, uh, to steer this around the, to the movie, since we've like, so we've so little touched on the movie because it's, it's fun. It's just like, what else are we going to, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, about uh, train still has of context. But yeah. But the uh, this movie flies by, so, so I just want to make sure we're like, covering some ground. Yeah. But I, you know, we've talked about the fact that there's no villains in this movie. It's very much a blue collar film. What I also like is that it's very hard for these guys to do the thing that they're trying to do. Oh yeah, it's oh yeah, not, not an easy job. And it's not even they don't even do it on their own. Denzel and Chris Pine aren't the ones that like they they save the day. They need help. Lou Temple's gonna drive in eventually and like help them. Yeah, it's it, it's very neat that the movie's not like. You know, Denzel jumps on the train at the last second and pulls a lever. It's we all work together. We have helicopters in the sky giving us readouts of what's going on. We have you know back and forth conversations on the phone. We have headquarters. We have all these and it's, that it's like dangerous exact- and not sexy about it either. It's mm-hmm. it's nasty and it's nasty without being super mean or grim like gritty. It's- yeah, people are going to get hurt. They're going to have to ice packs tomorrow because it's like yeah. that sucked. Like that's that's going to be their reaction. Right, and to follow to to go to what Scott said earlier about not not having a villain. It's also, as I recall, like you don't really have any idiots. It is pretty much like no. everyone's really everyone's the trying their best. Are, you know, they're doing the best they can. You, you know, have a like, couple which mistakes. I, guys, sure, uh, right, you have mistakes, you. right? Which I appreciate. I, I always, I'm much more of a fan of that kind of like narrative. Um, but you're right. Yes, it, there is a teamwork vibe, like on the fly, going on here. 
thinking about what you to, know, get back to, to get back to Denzel again, thinking thinking back to why he's able to kind of harness a certain persona, I think it's also because he really likes collaborating with certain people. Obviously, Tony Scott, which is his most collaborations. He has five collaborations. I actually wrote this down to make sure I had this right. But he has four with Fuqua. Mm. He has four with Spike Lee. He has three with Edward Zwick, two with Norman Jewison, two with Jonathan Demme, two with Carl Flankman, and then three with himself. <laughs> so he's, he, um, Zwick and and Tony Scott and a few other guys you mentioned, I think, are the kind of directors that big stars like to work with because I mean, they must be more malleable to, to, to the star than working. I'm sure Denzel Washington had some say on the script once he got on board in terms of making his character more interesting. Like you said earlier about Denzel Washington, you know, it doesn't end with him jumping in a big fireball. Yeah, that's Bruce Willis shit. Like Bruce Willis would lo- would do that in a movie. Denzel Washington would never do that in a movie because he's rooted in some kind of uh, seriousness and uh, dignity that not every major movie star is. I think he's a role model of a, of a, of a male movie star. Well, I definitely think that Denzel seems to pull off what we, what would I guess, I mean, because I've never operated a train, but what we, you haven't, what we might, pers- no, I haven't. What's what, wonderful. I think, Den- <laughs> I think Denzel, Denzel in his roles seems to ground the working class world more than pander to it, which is what I think Bruce Willis especially in his more lazy roles does. Um, yeah, I don't say you know, panders. Like, so, I mean, it's just more of him being lazy. But I'd like, because Willis is a blue, he, he comes from a blue collar background also. I don't think he's ever pandering to that. Audience. But I know, what you, I get what you're saying. Right, okay. There is a, there's an effort on, because Wahlberg there, comes to mind. Well, yes, Wahlberg, yeah. Um, but the, I mean, I get what like, as far as Denzel, Denzel cares about the roles more. That's the difference. Like he's, he's putting, yeah. he's not phoning it in. Mm-hmm. Never, and that's what makes him interesting as someone who, at the same time, does not usually pursue showy roles. Um, is that is that Macbeth? Is that did that ever shoot? That yeah, it's in post production. That's the what the with Cohen with Joel Cohen with just Joel Cohen. Can't wait! I want to know what that is. Like, right, that's, exactly. that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> Two great actors in those roles. Is that possible? What? You can one work without the other. Apparently so. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. know. I don't know if he was if um, if 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 they were just you know not together at all. I mean, dude, you look at that the movies. I mean, the first if, four, if, what the first four of them were. But no, it was until what was the first one? The, the, what was the first one that was cred- What was the first one that was credited to both Coen brothers? Oh, I don't know. I'm just making a bad mm. joke. I okay, I get it, but I'm just trying to think out loud. I mean, I. Although, to be fair, that's true to work with Denzel Washington isn't afraid to work with guys like Spike Lee and the Coen brothers, who I'm sure are more controlling than guys like Tony Scott, which which, which is also a credit to him. I think know? it's no Wait, country. What are the, I think what are the four? No, hold on. It's you, sooner than that. You said he did four Spike. So he, he got four, game. He got game. Mo Better Blues. What are the other two? Malcolm, Malcolm X. Malcolm X. His, his best performance. Oh, my God. Malcolm X. <laughs> <Is that inside laughs> man? And, and then oh, Inside Man. Okay, look, I'm allowed to forget about Inside Man, but you're right. I can't believe I forgot about Malcolm X. <laughs> I forgot. I'm sorry about Malcolm X. Forgot about Malcolm X. what he yes. should have won an Oscar for. This is yes. why he's yeah. yeah. slamming on the table, Jeff. Uh, that, that, yeah, that's exactly. Thank you. That, yeah, that's like Al Pacino instead of a woman or whatever. But God, <laughs> it's, it's, it's why I'm annoyed. It's why I'm annoyed with the training day thing. It's just like he plays yeah, it's arguably the best biopic performance of all time, and then he wins for playing the scary black guy. I just, I Always can't. Did, yeah, it's hard yeah, to reconcile that. Also, I think he's great in the hurricane. I don't necessarily need to think he needed to win that year, but I think he's really good in the hurricane. And I know that story's 
very different than the actual thing that went on with Tom <laughs> Carter, but he's still very good at it. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> the oh, Lady Killers is the first one that's direct. That's really credited to both Coen yeah. brothers, by the way. Up until oh. then, it's all Joel Cohen. That said, they're, you know, they're both involved in all the movies. I don't know how involved And to are. this day, I think that almost every time where an actor won for the wrong performance can be traced back to Al Pacino not winning for The Godfather. <laughs> really? Yeah. If you fix that, everything else goes as planned. <laughs> Who beat didn't, Ru- didn't Russell Crowe lose? In- didn't Lo- Russell Crowe lose The Insider and then wins Gladiator? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> what did uh, I mean? Do you guys think he's bad in Gladiator? No, I think he's, no, aside, he's not like, bad in Gladiator. I think no. everybody always in. dogs at him. Like he's pretty well, good. That, that's gone on to be an iconic it's performance it's for him. Yeah, exactly. There's value in him winning for such an icon, you know, iconic Russell Crowe performance. Right. It, it would be almost like you know Sylvester Stallone actually finding winning an Oscar for acting for yeah. you know Creed. Peter, I just I can't abide you trying to take away Roberto, Roberto Benigni's Oscar. That's all I'm saying. Oh my god, I can't I can't stand Roberto. That's who won. Oh, that just makes it worse. Oh man, like I can't imagine how pissed off Nick Nolte is these days. He lost for uh, Prince of Tides for a le- performance that was in the movie for 27 minutes, and he's fantastic. And then, yeah. and then he loses in you know for affliction to Roberto friggin' Benigni. I remember that sh- there was a shot at the Oscars that year of Warren Beatty and Nick Nolte consoling each other after being beaten, both with yeah. tremendous performances for Bugsy and for Prince of Tides by it. Admittedly tremendous Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. tiny performance. Supporting performance. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, again, was caused indirectly by Al Pacino not winning for The Godfather. Scott or somebody? No. Oh, I don't remember, but he was he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. They, so that Marlon they Brando... I did the same thing. Marlon Brando's supporting yeah. character, but yeah. he won Brando for best did, actor. Yeah. Brando did win, and then you had you you had Duvall, yeah. um, Pacino, and Khan all nominated, yeah. and they all lost. <laughs> I don't remember who won that year for best supporting actor. Um, I, I want to say like Harry and Tonto or something. No, well, that's lead actor Harry Car- Carney. Who's supporting actor? Well, no, Marlon Brando. What was it, 72? Anyway, sorry, I'm babbling. Yeah, 72, Marlon Brando wins Best Actor. I don't remember who won Best Supporting Actor I'm about year. to get it right. Joel Gray and Cabaret. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, mm-hmm. that makes sense. But again, Al Pacino should have won Best Actor instead of Marlon Brando. Let's not even discuss how good that year movie was. But here's the thing. The other, the other, the other right. thing about that. The other thing about that. Al Pacino did not attend the Oscars that year because he protested because of the category front. Oh, really? I am. Yes. Um, that new cut of Godfather 3? And they could have rectified it in time if they had just given them the Oscar they deserved for Dick Tracy in 1990. <laughs> it would have been better than Son of a Woman, that's for sure. That is correct. I <laughs> didn't hardly take it. Well, man, it's just not okay. I mean, he, training day. I mean, he, he had Dick Tracy and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, and you're like, oh, well, yeah. he, he's hooah. I mean, away. Carlitos was another great actor, one. Best supporting actor. That's my fantasy. He <laughs> like his early nineties. He's knocking some good stuff out there. Yeah. Um, we're talking about this movie again. All the newscasters in this are real newscasters, and I like how plausible this seems as far as how the news would be handling this story. They have graphics already made. Yeah, the explosion and everything. Happen. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, they're they're going like it, it's doing it's doing like authentic job as far as like portraying this as a real life. So this is like a this is a disaster yeah. movie, right? What we call it? Yeah, home? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. falls into that category. Disaster movie. Yeah. Not aliens, but uh, a train. Whoa! Well, what do, I mean, <laughs> you only think of aliens because you think of Independence Day. Most disaster movies aren't alien based. No, no, no. I was <laughs> I was referencing when I brought up War of the Worlds earlier that this that's aliens. Like, that's why. Yeah, of the original Pelham one, two, three. And sort of the sort of work that well, well that's a hostage movie i know but I in mean, terms that's... of present of an action movie that's taking place in the realm of the possible i guess and not in movie universe entirely sure i guess i'm just thinking of like I, i'd hate to use the word but like an unstoppable force that's causing chaos that doesn't have that's not rooted in yeah. humans it's you know a wave an airplane a a, a an earthquake a volcano like those are you know <laughs> things that cause a disaster inadvertently i mean they're yeah and they're all things that are yes they can't be reasoned with like type of thing yes i don't don't care if i live to be a thousand in movies that are effective like this a cut to a cheering room full of like people will always work for me (laughs) (laughs) i watched um i watched like five minutes of skyscraper on tv the other day it's when the rock jumps across and he makes it and they cuts to the crowd of, of chinese people and they're like yeah we did it like we have no idea who this guy is and why are police shooting at him but he made that fucking jump <laughs> because you shouldn't be told that you should be laughing and applauding but if it works it works it does <sighs> well and they make it all personal you've got denzel has two daughters <laughs> working <laughs> tony scott also loves those helicopters flying in and out of shots oh yeah Oh, if you can get a helicopter in a movie, like they're missiles. A a movie. He was annoyed of Crimson Tide. He's like, what? They're underwater the whole time? The <laughs> <laughs> Think of it like a helicopter underwater, Tony. Big one. I mean, I'm sure James Bond could do it. I can put a helicopter. No, Tony. We got Gene. Okay. He's not going to stand for this. <laughs> You think there's friction on that set? <laughs> I don't know. Crimson Tide, Locke, James Gandolfini, Viggo Mortensen, Denzel Washington, Gene Hackman, and Tony Scott on a gimbal and see how that goes. <laughs> right. With, with Quentin Tarantino taking notes on the side and Washington very much confronting Tarantino about things during the making of that movie. That's a fun story. <laughs> I got a question that, I'm uh, sorry, not related, but I wanted to ask this earlier. Um, okay, this might sound like a weird tangent, but so Crimson Tide, uh, True Romance and stuff, that is uh, pre-digital, that's pre, um, what's the big Coen Brothers? Oh, Brother Out There, right? That's the, fir- yeah. that's the first movie where uh, the digital DPI becomes like a big thing and it really inf- we, infects. We like, have like 10 minutes, mm-hmm. keep this going. Okay, so <laughs> I gotta say, I am really a fan of the way uh, color timing is used in the 21st century. And I, I sort of wonder if I would like the eye candy of a movie like True Romance or Crimson Tide more if it was modern. And the reason I think that is because um, I absolutely feel that way about Luc Besson's Lucy over Fifth Element. When I see the fifth element, I'm like, yeah, this movie was made too early. This would look way be- The eye candy would look way better if this was digital. And so I just wanted to see what you guys thought, because you love true romance. Now imagine true romance, imagine true romance with today's technology. I mean, I what do you think? I am totally going to tattle a Chris Nolan on you. <laughs> 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 
I just, I don't know. Look at, I mean, just looking at everything here, look at the color saturation, the high, it just looks so good. And I feel like if I was looking at a 4K of True Romance right now, I might still like the movie, but I'd be like, yeah, I wish this. And you, the other thing too, I mean, if that, True Romance was made now, that's the way it would be done. Tony Scott absolutely would have done it that way. Look like Domino more. I mean, you give it a sure, filter, yeah, Domino, still, right? Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I, this is you know the the, the, the this the and Crimson Tide both it may be stating the obvious, but if if you can watch a movie you've seen before and still be concerned about the outcome, like you are in Crimson Tide or this, even though you know what's going to happen, that's really a mark of of. Uh, what do you call it? Movie magic? I'm not sure what you call sure. it. Sure. Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. I, like, I know what you're talking about. Like, by the way, Lou Temple's coming in here being like, I'm the third hero in this movie. That's pretty awesome. But um, <laughs> the, I mean, look, the example I could think of, of like with, with true romance, like where he would do things differently as far as how to make that register on more of what he wants to do. And there's another example I can go from as well. But like, it's, there's a scene involving like roller coasters. And now Tony Scott will just have cameras on the roller coasters or shoot them from all the angles or have a hell of hell, obviously have a helicopter shot of the roller coaster in that movie. He just cuts back and forth from the roller coaster. And it's like, I get it. He's going for a sense of adrenaline in that scene to kind of right. to, to build up the whole Christian Slater, uh, pin Bronson Pinto like sequence, like the, how they're talking to each other, what have you. The other, like, is there a better way to do that? I mean, maybe, but it doesn't take away like how I feel about true romance. Right. Yeah. I don't get that. Like <laughs> another, but another, yeah, hold, I, on, hold on. Another okay. big example I can think of is something like Michael Mann, where he transitioned from digital cam from, from film cameras to digital cameras. And I think of something like heat where there's a lot of like amazing night photography, but there's also stuff he can't quite do. Like there's a scene with Robert De Niro and Amy Brenneman standing outside and it looks weird because he can't shoot night the way he wants to. Then he gets to collateral and he's able to apply certain things because he has digital cameras. He can shoot completely at night. I love collateral. I love it, it's a, it's collateral. A, it's, like, a really, it's a really interestingly made movie as far as the cinematography, which was nominated for an Oscar. And it's like, yeah, he's he's being able to capitalize off the things he's always wanted to do. But does that make Heat bad now? No. No. Does it make me, does it make me, does it make me want to see Heat made differently? No, it doesn't either. I mean, that's the movie. Does it make it hard to watch? Mm. No. <laughs> Look, it does, is a, heat's a masterpiece. I'm not gonna, but I, but it makes me wonder sometimes. I'm like, if the filmmakers had the tools of today, and it's still a great, I don't know. Well, Again, if, if I, filmmakers I love, have the tools heat. of today, then you don't get Ray Harryhausen. Like you don't. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah, that's, not, that's a good. Works. That's a good point, Brent. Yeah, that's a good point, Brandon. What when you're, you're talking what you're about to, you're, monsters you're, and stuff. That's a different. I, I wasn't. Again, that's why I was talking about color timing. I wasn't really talking about a they whole had, new effect or something. But like, it's the but same. I, it's the they same had different techniques of it. They had different techniques of it back in the day. But I mean, yeah, it's the, like, yeah. Look at like McCabe and Mrs. Miller. He like beat up and dirtied the film just to yeah. make it look the way it looks. I mean, there's they're always approaching things in different ways to true. achieve a that's certain true. kind of effect. It, it just comes down to what tools you have to do said things, and that's why the Harryhausen example is a perfect example as far as what's the latest and greatest way I can make fantastical monster things go out. Well, I don't know what computer are because they don't exist right. i can make stop motion <laughs> animation right. though and if it were true that it was just building and building and building there wouldn't be any value in going back and watching harryhausen stuff but there is because of the humanity captured in it it doesn't date at all you know, right of course you talk i mean yancy you you're the one who spotted to me the whole like the 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 um the, what people might say is the imperfections in king kong's fur isn't that people's fingerprint isn't that how people are 
like the way it moves is because it's a, a hand doing well, it's that. They're, it's because they're filming it frame by frame, and right. naturally you can't. But it's great. Be the I mean, I love that. Time. You, I mean, that's I, the person. That's the that's, that's the that's the personality. Yeah, that's, that's great. The stuff and that's that age because you knew, you can do it in CG in two thousand and five. They're both fascinating special effects. Uh, it doesn't matter that the, the process is. It, we're talking about the wrong thing here. This is. Like, <laughs> I mean, because yeah, we're not we're not. I mean, we're not talking about like futurists versus. You're talking about just like. Well, I'm thinking, I mean, it makes me think because because Tony Scott, like like your like um, who you were bringing up before, like Michael Mann, it feels like these are filmmakers that really kind of embraced new techniques and stuff, and that's why that's why it was to a point. But like Tony Scott was still hand cranking his cameras; he still had film. Like he didn't he didn't go digital. Like he still made the movies the way he wanted to make them. He just had True. other things to utilize to add to the stuff he was doing, but not change it completely. Compared to like Robert Rodriguez, where he's like. Yeah, sure. I I used to I was making movies for fifteen bucks in Mexico. Now, like, let me do this. Let's see how that goes. I mean, right, give, right, give right, right. Camera. Give me James Cameron. Like, let me, let me do all this stuff that I want to. Even now, they're all done. There's like cameras just swooping around. There's helicopter right. shots and everything because <laughs> they're just like settling down. It's like, hey, I'm probably gonna lose a toe after this. I know, right? Isn't it crazy? Right. Helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I lo- the fact oh, that like Luke Temple is yeah. so involved in the third act of this movie is just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's about like, I mean, we're at, the movie's wrapping up, so it's like thinking of this as like the last Tony Scott movie. We, we've all talked about, how, I mean, at least Scott or Yancey, like there's there's a lot of like, yeah, this is kind of, to- this is top tier Tony Scott, which feels interesting because it feels so unassuming by comparison, right? Yes, it has Denzel Washington, who's, you know, a huge star, but like, you know, Crimson Tide has Washington Gina Hackman in a movie about nuclear bombs. Your Will Smith, the biggest guy in the world in 1998, is making a movie about espionage and surveillance. This is a blue, you know, a train worker and a new guy <laughs> have to stop a train. It's just so like different by comparison. Yet it feels so just kind of right as far as like if you're gonna stop, if you're gonna like this is your last movie, and obviously it wasn't intended to be necessarily but it just it just clicks like it just clicks it's like yeah this is a great final step no one has thoughts on this being tony scott's last movie as we get to the end of this movie well, so i was looking at those that freeze print actually i no i i do think it's one of his stronger films and um though of course i wish he didn't pass away yeah it's it's a pretty good high note i mean it's a pretty good yeah. like last movie i don't think that, that yeah it's it pronounced i think he's i think he was his, he was working pretty strongly and just not getting credited for it for a while mm. i think I it emphasizes what he was doing at the end in terms of you know not to sound like a broken record but making the kind of old sturdy star-driven adult skewing studio programmers that compared to the Harry Potters and the Iron Mans and the Transformers of that time, went from being the blockbusters to the counter-programming. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's, and again, I, I like both films, but even going back to 2001, you know, Harry Potter, the Sorcerer's Stone, and Spy Game come out within a week of each other. And that's, you know, the future and the past of Hollywood hmm. right in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, of course, back then they could both be successful, but that's a conversation for another day. But no, I, 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 this is, again, give or take any mistake, this is my favorite Tony Scott picture. And I think it epitomizes 
what he was doing so well during a time when so few were getting the opportunity to make movies like this at this budgetary level. Um, and again, you know, it's, 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 yeah, I'm just going to repeat what I've been saying the whole time. Um, where, where there's not to be his last film, I know there were two things that he was like working on constantly that I'd hear about was one that he wanted to remake the wild bunch. Um, mm. he could have done that. Okay. Yeah, he could have. Yeah, totally. That fits for me. Like whether yeah. or not it's successful, that's one thing. But as far as the kind of movie that is and the kind of filmmaker he is, I understand why he'd lean on that. The other one, which I think is more well known, is the Warriors. He was going to make yeah. the Warriors. That was the big thing. That's for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and it was going to be set in L.A. I believe was the plan. But it's still the plan. Apparently, if it's actually or actually happens, I don't know why because it's the Warriors. Remake of the warrior. You got one, but but it's I mean exploring LA gang culture through that lens. There's something there. I again I don't necessarily need it, but I I get why you would try to do that. But is Tony Scott making a Warriors movie? Sure. Aside aside from visually, I don't know what his stamp on it would be too much, you know, of personality aside from the look, but he just really likes the baseball furies. Yeah. When the guy who was going to do the remake conceivably have done the original. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does. God, where's that arrow deluxe release that I need for the Warriors? Yeah. But people, there, there is one uh, overseas that actually is the theatrical cut, but all you can get here in America is the redone one. I want both I want, stuff. I want both cuts so I can get yeah, both cuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie, I, we already went over, made what 176 worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out, uh, came out uh, the same weekend as Skyline, the alien invasion movie, as well as Morning Glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, another, another yeah. Harrison Ford d- does his thing in the background, and he's pretty good at it, despite the movie <laughs> itself. Okay, like, right, it's fine. Um, I like Morning Glory. Underrated. Yeah. I'm I, feel like it, I feel like it's properly rated. <laughs> I, I, I like it. I like it. I, I'm, you know, yeah, good use of um, Ford and McAdams. Ford and working girl mode, sort of. Yeah. 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 It's Keaton. Is that Keaton and the other, uh, the female anchor? And Keaton and Rachel McAdams, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, now I kind of want to watch Domino. Uh, Aaron, uh, do you do you know is Domino on anything? Is it streaming anywhere? Four K. Is there a four K? Four K Domino. No. <laughs> uh, With grimy ten eighty. It was it was on Netflix for. I mean, I have it. It's on so Hoopla. It's on Hoopla now. There you go. For, uh, but you can rent it on Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Fandango Now, Vudu, and Direct TV. I mean, if you have Hoopla, if you have a library card, you're set. Mm-hmm. What's the worst Tony Scott movie? Oh, that's a good one. Beverly Hills Cop uh, 2. What'd you say? Beverly Hills Cop 2? In my opinion. Pretty bad I, movie, Beverly Hills Cop 2. I will I, uh, I, watching it recently, I, I still yeah. don't, I mean, I don't think it's great, but I liked yeah. it more than I remembered liking it. Yeah. Uh, it's better than Hills it. Cop 3. Gosh. That's for sure. Yeah. It's just the concern is very much being an action Hungry. movie as opposed to being a very comedy. Right. Yeah. No, that's the, that's the change. Cap 2 is very ugly. In the, 
it's it's very much a Tony Scott movie more than it is a Beverly Hills Scott movie. That's yeah. uh oh my god, Domino is eighteen percent at Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Yeah, what people have their, people, right? their, people had their knives out. Man. Only five ninety nine for the HD at Apple TV. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I at the time I was always more of a fan of Days of Thunder than Top Gun. But I don't know if I watch Days of Thunder recently, I might be like, yeah, it's not that great. I don't know. I'm not sure. Days of Thunder's fun. I mean, it's just the messaging's better. <laughs> Days of Thunder. Yeah. Not gonna, that's the difference. Oh well, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you. Can, I. Yeah. Uh, I mean. I'm not a revenge guy for various reasons. I don't think it's that good to begin with, but also I just well, why you're not a revenge guy. Cause yeah, I, yeah Costner's not going to do it for me, but, on, but on top of that, the movie's oh, not very right. good. You don't like Costner. I forgot <laughs> about that. <laughs> that. That said that in mind, I think spy game is very boring. I just, I, I, boring, I, I don't like spy game. Rabbit for movie. It should be a lot more. Well, yeah. that's the th- in a Tony Scott movie. I wouldn't think that'd be boring. Like I could not, I could see not liking it, but I shouldn't feel like it takes forever to do anything. I'm like, gonna just, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna, uh, I gotta say it. Call. I really, really don't like True Romance. <laughs> Well, I always thought the casting of Christian Slater was just way off. For was it the color time not being modern, or thank you, thank you, Brandon Peters? That I was so excited <laughs> about this next Tarantino thing, and I've always thought it just was off in a lot of ways. That that James Gandolfini beating up Patricia Arquette scene, I can't. I know she wins in the end, but it just I can't. That movie just I just can't do it. I I, I don't remember that movie that well. I remember Brad Pitt being kind of like a stoner character, and that's kind of funny. Yeah. Like I, yeah. And there's a guy who's doing Joel Silver, right? Coca, yes, Coca, Saul, Rub- yeah. Saul Rubinick. Yeah. Saul Rubinick. Like I, I mean, I think I had that on Laserdisc back in the day. I did like, for some reason, but I just, yeah, I, I, but yeah, I would. I, I guess I'm I am I am not opposed to giving it another chance, but it, 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 it honestly I had completely forgotten when we started this that that's a Tony Scott movie. Yeah, I was like, so oh yeah, so many. Um, but but I'm I great Hans Zimmer score evoking Badlands. Too obviously evoking Badlands, and not evoking movies. A movie does not evoke Badlands at all. I like um, it's. I, I like it because it's such a weird choice. It's like, why is it doing? It's, it's it's it starts in Detroit with like literally like a group of homeless people warming their hands over fire, and we're seeing like hearing the music from Bad Bad. Anybody bad other than Christian Slater, like, right. I would have possibly. Well, wait, but, Yancey, have you never liked Christian Slater in anything? No. What really. about Heather? What about Heather's? Heather's? Okay, but that he's well. What about Cuffs? <laughs> what about gleaming the cube above the volume <laughs> like uh later never quite made that steven dorf leak we were talking about yeah, watch mr robot he's quite good in that mr robot uh, i mean he's Yancey, very... you love as i think we all do on this podcast you love interview with the vampire are you saying he's the weakest part yes he's easily the weakest part of it Hey, uh, we, we talked about that on the commentary featuring oh, all right, of us supposed to be river phoenix you're right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about um, ho- hollow man 2 <laughs> oh my god is there i even knew i didn't even know about that well, that was wow. jonathan jh or whatever his name is in some ways my favorite christian slater performance is jonathan Ray's myers doing american accent in that nbc dracula show from several years ago yes wow. if you've never seen that go to youtube it's very funny <laughs> picking of pelham is pretty low for me but i mean that's more of because it's a massive disappointment for me so it's just i didn't care i agree 
Nobody loves Top Gun probably in this group, but it's not. I don't hate yeah, it. It's, it's not his worst. I just am not over the moon yeah. about it. And yeah, that's the. But it's. I mean, there's an iconography there that I can respect. I mean, it it does a lot of things that really stick. I like with the you. hunger. I can't lot, say the same about every Tony Scott movie. Off. It's such a style over substance movie, but I really like it. The hunger. Which his which one? one? Sorry. Yeah, hunger. Oh, the hunger. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, it's the style is very. The big. great sequence of Bowie aging in the doctor's office is so great and makes the whole movie. Well, with all of that in mind, as we've reached the end of the movie for several minutes and we're just riffing on Christian Slater for some reason, we should uh, wrap up this Told podcast. You. All right. Uh, with all of this. <laughs> Chad, Justin for Cuffs. Damn it. Christian Slater impression. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's go over where people, people can find everybody's work. Uh, let's Let's... Let's start with the easy ones. Yancey, where can people find more of you online? You know, this question has always caused me great stress. Uh, you know, eventually I hope to have more stuff coming out there. Right now, this is the highlight of my online presence doing these shows with you, with you guys. So one day I will hope not to dread this question. Milky Way Blues, Yancey, uh, Jack at Twitter. Um, I'm on Facebook. Thanks for asking me first. Else more You're impressive. You're welcome. <laughs> I just like the lack of punctuation in your talking is just no very risk effective. Have enough presence um, on. Well, let's talk. Let's talk to Peter Paris. Where can people find more of you? Um, I'm at Why So Blue. Um, I have some video game reviews coming. I don't know when my next movie. Review you had a will freaky be, review since the last we talked. I did do that. Yes, I did do a freaky review. Yep. So Why So Blue? I help Peter. And I'm on Twitter. about his stuff. Yeah, thank you. And I'm also at, um, online. Um, my handle's Pajamo. Scott Mendelson. Forbes, per usual. Uh, Forbes.com, the ticket booth, Scott Mendelson. Uh, that's the Google combination here, one I want to get. I'm at Scott Mendelson at Twitter, and that's generally where I am. I don't feel like these are hard questions, but okay. <laughs> Brandon Peters, we're going to find more of you. <laughs> All right, you can find me on the Brandon Peters Show, which... Uh, listening to out now, uh, upcoming next week, I have a holiday gift guide series of podcasts where uh, Monday talking uh, video games with like Black Friday deals, what's good ones to buy, what's new, recent, and uh, Tuesday is going to be Blu-rays and uh, 4K discussion, same kind of deal. And then Wednesday will be like figures, comics books collectibles type things and then that following that will be a marathon of the old space show segment that runs on the, on my program which will run an episode thursday friday saturday and sunday so you get a full week of stuff and in a good holiday fashion and then my written stuff uh work is over at whysoblue.com that's how you do it exactly and if you want to follow me on twitter and instagram at brand4kuhd Jesus, I really am what he grows beyond. <laughs> you can find me on Weekly Entertainment, writing movie reviews, Lies of Blue for Blue reviews, Variety for some filmmaker interviews, and Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Uh, thank you guys, Brandon, Yancey, Peter, and Scott for joining me for this unstoppable commentary. Unstoppable. Thank you. They're alive, damn it. Thank you, guys. Uh, this has been a lot of fun as always. What do we, we have December next? Oh, December was... Are, well, are we still going to do Dune? I mean, we were going to do Dune for December. Do, 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 we were going to do it. We were going to do the Dune. We were going to do the Dune. 
we're out of Star Wars movies, so this is just naturally oh, yeah, the yeah. next best thing. <laughs> Force Awakens, five years. Yeah, Force That's Awakens. That's true. We haven't. We, yeah, we haven't done the last three. Well, the last what? Well, Wonder Wonder, Wonder no, sorry, Woman. The last. The last five. Oh, actually, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Wonder, Wonder, Wonder maybe Woman Wonder is up. Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman would make sense. Chris Pine, two months in a row. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got we got some options, but I mean, doing the Dune in December that did seem like a lot of fun. I mean, the Dune. The Dune. Obviously, the movie got moved. December. The movie got moved to next October, so I mean, it doesn't make too much sense anymore. But why? You know, I we could do the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries in September. No, boo. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna figure we're gonna figure all this out in the month to come so yeah look forward to whatever our next commentary track's gonna be but until then until next, until next time so long and goodbye thank you for listening the brandon peters show is a creative zombie studios production produced by brad shoemaker and brandon peters written and edited by brandon peters Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetersshow.com. show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.